1: The view from our side of the cockpit door with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 30th of November, 2023. In today's episode, a Brazilian airliner suffers a tail strike during landing, and an Air Baltic flight goes into a steep dive while landing after capturing a false glide slope signal. Also ahead, more news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 596 is ready for pushback.
3: Hello, Radio Roger, or thank you, Radio Roger Stern. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, an almost-retired pilot at a major U.S. legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining me from his studio... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former raf RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330-340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain
4: Nick. Well, good evening, Jeff and everyone. Uh, great to be here again. Uh, you know, I can always tell when December's coming around because uh, I get a lot of complaints from the missus about leaving the doors open. Apparently, it makes the house cold. Mm. Huh. strange.
3: Um All right, also joining us from his home studio in the Air capital low and slow pilot AMP mechanic, old airplane enthusiast and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry. It's Nick
5: Camacho. Hey, Captain Jeff. Uh, glad to be back. I missed a few. I've been bouncing around uh, the country a little bit, but I'm glad to be home here for a little bit to talk to you guys.
3: Yeah, great that you're uh, here with us. can't wait to hear what you've been up to. And also joining us from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's Liz Piper.
0: Good afternoon, gentlemen, and good afternoon, chat room.
3: Good afternoon, everyone. And can you believe it? 11 twelfths of the way through 2023 already? It's amazing. Time flies, doesn't it? Have
0: a good show, guys.
3: Thank you, ma'am. All right. Speaking of flying, let's do some aviation news. Stand by for news. All right. The first item, uh, Aviation Herald, avherald.com uh, from uh, Simon Horatki. Um, an Azul, uh, is that right? Azul, 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 uh, Linhas Arias Aviance de Transport Regional, an ATR 72 212 Alpha registration, Papa Romeo Alpha Kilo Oscar October Oscar Oscar. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know my to stop. <laughs> Fair me. Uh, I feel like it was an old, an old black and white movie all of a sudden. Oh, Papa Romeo, Alpha kilo. Oscar. Uh, performing flight 2737 from, ooh, uh, Aracaju. Nailed it. Uh, to uh, Recife uh, port, uh, in Brazil. Uh, landed on Recife's uh, runway 18 when, in the final stages, the sink rate increased, followed by an increase in pitch. The aircraft touched by down. Magic. Yeah weird. Uh, the aircraft touched down its main gear with its tail contacting the runway surface. This is at 9.45 local time, and uh, the airplane bounced, touched down a second time, and rolled out. The onward flight <laughs> was canceled. <laughs> that's weird. Um, have some <laughs> video uh, if you want to take a look at, at this uh, particular incident. Here we go. Uh, nope, that's not it. Uh, that's... Right here. There we go. Coming on in, look at that pretty airplane, ATR-72212 Alpha. nice and shiny. Good Coming paint in. job. Yeah, no, nice.
4: No, I don't and like then, the paint job. I'm going to make a mess of it.
3: Yeah, okay. So he, he, oh, he kind of stopped the descent a little bit too soon, didn't he? And, oh, ow. Oh, uh, yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah. That, um, uh, <laughs> what? That has got to hurt. Yeah, it's going to be a while before that airplane will be de- be able to sit down. <laughs> um, so, uh, so let's look at that again. Um, so it's coming in. Everything's looking pretty good until right about, for some reason, uh, they just kind of flared high. And then what happens is your airspeed continues to bleed off. And then it, you drop like a rock. And then you don't have... Uh, control authority to really arrest the uh, descent rate and then if you over over uh, rotate or you you bring up bring your pitch up too high then uh, you have the uh, possibility of uh, hitting the old tail um all right so what uh what do y'all think i mean is there any more to it than than that just a, a flare too high and
4: uh, it looks like it. I think you've hit the nail on the head, Jeff. Uh, you, what are your uh, aircraft like for tail strike? Uh, are they prone to tail strikes? Uh,
3: no. The uh, the Boeing 717, um, which is really <laughs> a McDonnell Douglas, the latest version of the the DC-9, very similar in... in um, uh, what, what do you call it um, dimensions uh, as the uh, dc9 -30 um, and the distance between the main gear and the tail is pretty short on that jet it's not one of the like unlike the md88 and md90 where the distance between the you know the main gear and the tail was quite a bit longer, but and so on, on uh on the eighty eight, the only time we had to worry about tail strikes usually involved uh the takeoff uh sequence, especially when you were heavy and taking off uh out of places like LaGuardia on a hot day. Uh people had a tendency to kind of get a little little excited about seeing the end of the runway and the and the uh <laughs> okay. and the water coming up and okay. kind of over rotated. Yeah. and uh, overdid a little bit and sometimes they smacked the tail so you had to be careful with that but uh, you know really most of the time not a big deal for for my particular jet
4: well the 340 being such a damn long airplane uh it was prone to uh, tail strikes. so um we had a, a number of procedures and protections nothing that um uh, physically stopped it happening but we used to have an additional indication on the attitude indicator um, that warned us when we were getting to a pitch angle that would be close to a tail strike and we had procedures uh, in the company for special calls if that situation came around so that you know you could give the guy who's hand flying it and looking out the window uh, some indication that he's overdoing it um, I I don't know if this particular, the ATR, is uh, particularly uh, prone to tail strikes. But uh, quite obviously, if you do let the speed bleed back and then you tend to drop out of the sky, over-rotate the airplane to try and cushion that landing if you can call it that <laughs> <laughs> um yeah then uh that, that's you know another situation when it can happen but we uh we had several tail strikes and uh and we didn't have that big a fleet I mean, we only had about 10 or 12 airplanes and i think we had three or four tail strikes so yeah there's something you've got to be aware of and speed is probably the most important thing not just speed obviously but Setting up a stable approach and carrying it on down till touchdown is the important bit.
3: Oh, I Hall boxes uh, in our live audience says that's a Brazilian
4: waxing. Oh,
2: waxing. waxing. Oh, (laughs) gotcha. Okay. Well,
4: I I could think of lots of pictures I could put for that. None of which would (laughs) pass the sensor. (laughs) 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 Nope.
3: No Uh, more suggestions uh, like that, please. Has a comment here. KFC make good winglets. Uh, Dash eight three hundred is prone to tail uh, tail strike. Tail strike. Hence, why it is touched has a touched runway warning. Oh, <laughs> uh, interesting.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Airbus the- fitted it to the three hundred and forty after our first tail strike, so that. Because the guy claimed uh, was climbing out of Hong Kong, and he he kind of got to about ten thousand feet before he thought, "Nah, this might not be the most sensible thing." Just because the cabin crew were phoning up, going, "We had a really funny noise on takeoff."
3: <laughs> uh, no. I was going to say, in this he- in this case, um, I'm thinking that they probably didn't need that system to alert them that they had uh, touched the runway with their tail on that video. No, that we probably were not. UH Blackhawk in our live audience says, we had an issue on the ATR-72 where an engine would occasionally go from 15 to 18% thrust all the way to zero airflow over wing would stop and it would drop in. Didn't want to try an arrest with pitch. Yeah, that's what this person, this pilot tried to do. Didn't work out so great. I mean, he did arrest the pitch. It's just that, um, I mean, arrest the descent, but uh, didn't avoid whacking, uh, whacking the tail on the on the runway
4: liz can you ask nick if he ever landed at london city new no. uh a little small for uh, monster airplanes uh it's a five and a half degree approach that i'm sure listeners would love to hear about yeah it, it is an unusual approach um because of the fact that it's built the runway is built uh, on the edge of the thames right in the middle of the city so they keep the aircraft reasonably high and then have a steep approach uh, to try and keep the noise footprint down to an absolute minimum. Uh, the only things I know about it, obviously I've, I've never tried it, is the aircraft has to be particularly, especially modified. And I know BA have some uh, A320 series airplanes that they can land in there, but Airbus have uh, done something to the flap configuration so they can do that. Um, Some aircraft are easy to get in. The BA-146 is quite easy. Uh, But uh, as far as I know, uh, all the pilots that do land there have to be specifically checked out to fly that approach. But uh, um, I'm not quite sure. I'm pretty sure Pip has gone in there. I don't know. He might be able to say something. But uh, no, it's it's a bit of a one-off arrival, that one.
3: He uh, came in with this. Uh, Nick, if you want to read it.
4: Yeah, uh, Pip uh from Plane Safety Podcast here yeah, sitting in our chat room today, um says that uh he has a number of peculiarities. And um yeah, I'm sorry about that. Uh, Pip. Uh and so does London City. Uh the latest of which apparently is a remote tower. So uh instead of people having to come to work in London, they can do this from, I think they've outsourced it to Mongolia, um, out of Mongolia, <laughs> I believe. And they uh, pipe in all the visuals there. And they've got some um, air traffic controllers that live there who look after the airport for them. Amazing. Hmm. Mm. Very, Very clever. Very interesting. Very clever. Yeah. I don't All know right. if it's the first um, proper remote-controlled tower. Uh, there has—I don't know—I don't know of another one. But uh, then again, I've been out of the industry. Uh, he believes that down in Swanwick in Mongolia. Yeah, <laughs> I've I've been to Swanwick. uh not the one in Mongolia, but the one on the <laughs> south coast, and uh, it's, they're a fine bunch of um, uh, air traffic controllers down there. Uh-huh. Uh, I noticed that our friend uh, Adam doesn't work there. He works under the tower at Heathrow in a special dungeon. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Just, literally under the tower. <laughs> yes, he did. It's
4: literally under the, the
2: tower. The Tower
4: of London. Yes. <laughs> the Tower of London, Liz has commented, which I think is very apt. Yes, very.
3: Never All right. Me. Well, we've. We've flogged that one enough, I believe <laughs> yes. let's uh, move <laughs> to video, uh Jeff. uh oh another video. Darn it. <laughs> I thought I was on top of my game today. I was wrong. Um, another ATR. Yep, uh you know, sticking with the old ATR ploy. Uh let's uh which one is it?
0: Passa, passaredo.
3: Yeah, what number again?
0: A B. 1B.
3: Oh, why do I not have well, maybe
0: there isn't a video. Maybe I don't Oh no, sorry. I guess the title's wrong on my thing. Oh uh, yep. I I yeah,
3: oh that's right. I I changed the title to remove the okay. uh, sorry about that. The, okay. the the, the uh, video in the title. Okay, there is no video. Okay. Whoo! Jeff is on top of right. this game.
0: He is Pardon? I'm not.
3: Um so the uh, this item here from again Aviation Herald is a final report. Uh, an incident that happened at the Redo, um no, the airline, I guess, is Redo, Uh ATR-72 at Rondonopolis uh, on the <laughs> 9th of, thank you, Let me. Uh, there we go, nailed it, uh, January 9th, 2016, a long time ago, landed short of the runway, took out airport fence. Um, let's see, this ATR-72-212-alpha, just like the previous one we talked about, uh, registration, Papa Romeo, Papa Delta, Delta, performing flight 2330 uh, from Brasilia uh, to Rondonopolis uh, in Brazil. Fifty-four passengers, four crew, was on approach to Rondonopolis's runway 02 when the aircraft touched down more than 300 meters or 1,000 feet short of the runway in a soy field at uh zero zero two three local time so a little bit after midnight local time it was dark they rolled it, for about a soy field a soy yeah like soy, beans. soy is like that soy beans. how they
4: make soy sauce
3: yeah soybeans with soybeans wow yeah. oh okay oh, um I never... they rolled they rolled for about 30 meters 100 feet and collided with and took out a fence uh <laughs> that fence had concrete pylons while they were going around. The aircraft landed without further incident following a second approach. There were no injuries. The aircraft sustained substantial damage to the fuselage, propellers, and landing gear. This is an interesting statement by the Secretary of Transport and Traffic at Rondonopolis. He says, uh, the incident didn't have any gravity. The plane landed (laughs) safely. And normally sometime later. Does he mean the airplane ran out of gravity? Uh I guess, oh, wh- wh- Well, the, I did uh, a,
4: I was gonna say without gravity, how come it hit the ground? <laughs>
3: shouldn't it shouldn't have land? hit the ground. If it didn't have any gravity. <laughs> I, I took that as uh the statement as uh oh there's nothing really nothing happened. There's nothing to, there's see, n- here. Nothing to yeah. see here. Let's move on. Uh however, the uh investigatory agencies uh didn't take their advice and decided to go ahead and press on and and see what happened. Um, The airline stated that due to weather, the aircraft needed to go around following a first touchdown at uh, 23 minutes past midnight. uh, The aircraft positioned for another approach, landed safely on the second approach. Uh, The passengers disembarked normally. Some of them had a little limp. A little limp (laughs) what? Well, (laughs) they walked with a little limp. Oh, okay. Uh, Uh, Let's see. On the 20th of January 2016, the French BEA reported, based on notification by Brazil's C-A-N-I-P-A, that the aircraft touched down short of the runway, went around, joined a traffic pattern, and landed normally in a second approach. Uh, The aircraft collided with a fence during the maneuver, however. Um, Okay, so uh, the final report just came out. um, Oh, wait a minute. Final report came out on the... Sixteenth of November, twenty twenty-one. Why are we just now seeing this? That's just interesting. I guess I
0: don't know.
3: Maybe maybe it. they published it, and uh, and we just got access to it. Simon uh, just found it. I, I, I may have taken Simon's uh, rant out of this um, <laughs> uh, in in Evernote here because we he says it a lot, uh, and because it was probably not. Published in English, and it probably they probably didn't notify all the investigatory agencies around the world, and he's not happy about it, probably. Um, all right, so uh, the probable causes of the accident were uh, control skills. A contributor, when subjected to the effects of visual illusions during the final approach for landing, the pilots had the false perception of being high on the ramp, uh, which, uh, and I think they mean like the slope, like the glide slope, acting on the flight controls in order to correct their position in relation to the false perception. So let me see. I, it probably would be a good idea to kind of uh, explain uh, the events here. It's, it's uh, late at night or early in the morning, your choice, um, and they're flying into an airport that has no instrument approaches, no navigational aids, uh, so it's a it's a VMC VFR only type of an airport, and uh, when they were coming in, the air traffic controller uh, they gave them. The air traffic controller gave them some information regarding yes. the weather. That was great. Uh, so, what do you? Are you there, uh, Nick? To, I'm trying yeah, to, I think the yeah.
4: controller said that there was twenty kilometers of visibility.
3: Oh yeah, <laughs> and the reason why he said that is because when he looked out his window, he could see the lights of the city in yeah. in that direction, which. Is not the direction that the airplane was coming in <laughs> from, <laughs> no. uh, and uh, he could see, and uh, he knew that the city, li- the city is about twenty nautical miles away, so the visibility must be twenty. Yep. However, there, <laughs> yes. there was there were some fog uh, banks in uh, areas yeah. where the visibility was less than twenty.
4: Yeah, the poor pilots, they they weren't landing from the city. <laughs> no, <laughs> they were coming the other way. And I forgot yeah, exactly. It,
3: uh, what what okay here's the um the uh, the special uh, metar issued uh right about the time or maybe right after yes, or maybe it was
4: exactly right after <laughs>
3: yeah uh, let's see the uh or maybe it was just before i think he had just recorded this but didn't mention this when the airplane was coming in um the horizontal visibility was equal to 1000 meters presence of fog vertical visibility equal to 100 feet <laughs> yes
4: <laughs> poor, okay. Poor that's pilots. something
3: that you probably would want to know if you're <laughs> flying an airplane with passengers coming into this place. And that's very, very dark. And uh, I don't know what what kind of maneuver that they were using to try to find the runway and align with the runway. And apparently whatever it was, it, it, it didn't work out very well. Uh, because uh, I'm sure you've already showed some of the some of the photos of the oh, uh, yeah. of where it touched down and the tracks and the in the in uh, the ground. Yeah, the tracks um, of their tears. Yeah, that uh, that's. Um,
0: There's a soy field. It is a
3: soy field, and um, wow. we definitely saw the fence. Uh, nice saw the, yeah, uh, no, the bottles. They haven't. They haven't. The bottles are off, out of frame. You can't it's see the bottles blood. for the it's soy sauce yet um that uh, was one some of the damage to the airplane uh, hitting one of the posts i guess in the fence posts and uh yeah you can see in this overhead view where it touched down in relation to the runway um yeah i just the whole thing is just like what how how could this possibly happen in this day and time but perhaps uh in in this area of the world um you know things aren't Quite the same. Uh, yeah. as yeah, I hall another?
0: boxes has a suggestion
3: here. ATR pilots, uh, this is I hall boxes. ATR pilots, just try to not make it onto the next new or onto the news next week. Yeah, try. Absolutely.
4: Could you please? Yeah. Yeah. Please. Just a couple of little remarks about this, Jeff, because because yeah. um, uh, it was uh, a known effect at this airfield to have the black hole effect. Uh, On both runways, actually. And uh, for those who aren't aware of what that is, um, if you have got no lighting, no nothing on the approach into a runway, uh, it's like you are descending into a black hole and the only illumination comes from the runway lights. And in particular, this airport, I don't think it had any approach lights. It certainly had no uh, visual uh, glide slope guidance, like you no know, pappies or vases, that kind of stuff. Um, so they, the pilots are relying entirely on the perceived aspect of the runway um, to decide they're on the correct glide path or not. Now, um, when you've got a, a black hole effect, um, it's, a, it's one of the well-recognized visual illusions, um, and uh, the common um, result is that you perceive you're too high, and you descend uh, faster towards the runway than you should be. Um, This was also uh, exacerbated by the fact that they had fog. So even looking down the runway, the runway would have appeared shorter than it should be. Um, which gives you uh, a false horizon uh, because that's the limit of your visibility. That's all you can see is where the, the, the fog allows you to see. Uh, and it would appear, it appears lower than the real Earth's horizon. So in an attempt to move that horizon to where you think it should be, you, again, you descend faster. Um, and all these things combine... Um, I've read up a bit about the black hole effect. No one seems to know exactly what the cause is, but a lot of the time it's a lack of peripheral vision because you're not seeing any rush effect. You're not seeing anything, texture from the ground to give you a feeling of your height. You're relying entirely on this perception of uh, an approach. And of course, if the runway is uh, tilted down and away from you or tilted up a little bit that will affect your perception of this picture of a a runway on a three degree slope that you're aiming for Uh, and it's so well recognized that um, it is written up in fact in the 60s that's when it was first formally um, uh, they, they did a lot of work on it because uh, a lot of airports had this type of illumination, and um, it was in America. They, they were losing a lot of airliners, very expensive airliners. So uh, they, they did a great deal of work on trying to find out what exactly the back hole effect was, and um, they put a whole bunch of very experienced um, airline pilots into the simulator and put them in a simulated uh, situation, just as these pilots were. And the vast majority of them never got to the runway. They all landed short of the runway. Uh, and they, they the airlines went, oh, this, <laughs> this could really be a problem. Uh, and uh, of course, it led to a lot more uh, information about it. And so that you know, when you know that there is a black hole effect likely to be at the airport you're going into, you brief it and you look for some other way to, or some way to mitigate that threat, um, which is why it's so important.
3: Right. And so we're, we're in a situation, there are no instrument landing system. There's not a nice electronic glide slope. There are no uh, visual aids to your glide slope either. There are no VASI, no PAPI uh, system to help guide you and stay on that three degree which is the normal uh, glide slope or ramp, as they refer to it here in this um, incident. Uh, so you have to have some way to figure out. Now, I I kind of find it hard to believe that an airplane like this ATR uh, doesn't have some kind of a system in its avionics, or like a like a navigation system with a GPS and and what we what I used to call a poor man's glide slope using uh, the. Uh, the RNAV system to kind of tell you uh, where you want to be at a certain point in relation to the end of the runway. Um, but back in the day, before we had all this fancy gear, I, again, I think this airplane did have this gear. But let's just say we're back in the in the 80s and 90s in a 727 like I used to fly. We didn't have any of this stuff. And if you went into a place, especially at night that didn't have uh, an instrument landing system to give you that glide slope, you had to be very, very careful. So what you'd have to do is you'd have to figure out how am I gonna determine how far away from the end of the runway am I? And knowing that a three degree glide path would be 300 feet per nautical mile. So at 300 feet, I should be one mile from the end of the runway. At 600 feet, I should be two miles from the end of the runway. And constantly flying the appropriate descent rate for whatever speed you're flying. And in this case, they've calculated that uh, the descent rate should have been about 600 feet per minute for 120 knot ground speed. And um, they were uh, at a much higher descent rate. So I remember some of these, these instances in the past when I, and even not into the too distant past where, they didn't have all these fancy things that we're normally used to having, and you'd have to really pay attention to your distance from the end of the runway and be constantly looking, you know, doing that check of your altitude, your radio altimeter check, always constantly looking at your, you know, cross-checking your uh, vertical descent rate. Uh, in the airplane that I'm used to flying, it's usually 700, 800 feet per minute uh, based on the ground speeds that we're approaching the runway, and um, and and just, and the other pilot backing you up with that information calling out i think you're 100 feet high i think you're 100 feet low speeds good sinks good you know that kind of thing all the way down until you actually acquire the runway and you don't and you're not affected by this black hole effect but apparently they didn't do that in this
4: case um that as no, far as i can tell no apparently they didn't even brief it as a potential threat on their uh, approach brief which wow. is surprising because that's the time that we generally speaking cover the problems that we might encounter um, during uh, our, you know, landing.
3: And just to throw in and a little extra spice in this whole thing, the uh, the runway was narrower than normal as well it was only thirty meters wide. So
0: KFC yeah. mm. uh, has a possible title again.
3: Oh, uh, KFC and our live audience says the Soy One arrival possible show title <laughs> soy one yeah okay interesting yeah so it that's just a classic um, you know as as Nick um, talked about this black hole effect of visual illusion and you got to have some way of combating it and that's why we have all these nice, um, glide slope aids available to us, but yeah, you know, there, there is going to be a time in your career people. If you're flying, doing this for, well, even if you're not doing it for a living, uh, you pilots out there, there's going to be a time that you're going to have to re, uh, you know, go back to those old procedures where you're looking at your distance, looking at your altitude, just to make sure that, uh, you're on a proper glide path for, for the runway.
4: Yeah, indeed, great advice, Jeff.
3: And you know what? I don't even think that, based on what we see and as far as the pictures and where they touch down, I'm not so sure they ever did really see the runway. And I'm wondering what was going through their heads. At what point did they say, you know what? I let's let's call let's <laughs> don't go down anymore. Let's,
5: yes. let's let's go around because well, I we can should you see have landed by now. Let's. <laughs> <Yeah>. let's <laughs> so, so that was going to be my question is. Uh, do you guys think that they initiated a go around and then continued to sink and maybe hit the fence as they were going around? Or do you think that they realized something was wrong when the wheels touched down and it wasn't like a nice smooth concrete runway?
2: <laughs> I because <don't>
5: know. <laughs> it says they went <laughs> through a fence with concrete posts, uh-huh. severely damaged the propellers, which I got to imagine would cause some interesting noises and vibrations and uh possibly made a decision that their best case scenario even though they were on the ground at that point was to take back into the air <laughs> Yeah, they're Um, probably
3: going, they're probably looking out the window going,
4: it doesn't look like a runway
3: that we're on. (laughs) (laughs) It's a
2: really narrow runway. Yeah, you know,
4: know, I've seen that before. I think that's what they make soy sauce out of. It's not a runway. (laughs) It's bumpier than normal. (laughs) Uh,
3: And it's greener than normal. Uh, Maybe we should go around. I don't know. (laughs) That's a good question, uh, Nick. I don't know if they. If they had already initiated the go-around they just touched down, or if they just hit and then go, you know what?
0: UH Blackhawk has a comment.
3: I don't think we should be on the ground yet. UH, UH Blackhawk probably noticed when they had to apply full power to taxi after landing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <Okay. laughs>
5: that's how a lot of yep. Bonanza pilots realize they forgot to put the gear down is when they can't taxi off the runway. Yeah,
3: line. that's always a good sign. It takes ahead. full power <laughs> to taxi.
5: Oh, I love it love it
3: oh boy okay, I think you do
2: have a video for the last one
3: Jeffy. okay let Number me queue up the uh, of the runway okay the uh, which which um, e, item one e, e? okay uh, present video file 1e e. um, okay oh yeah this is a good one
4: <laughs> unless you're the pilot
3: Yeah, well, I mean, it's not a good one, but it's good for us, uh, aviation podcasters, for us to talk about and make fun of. (laughs) Actually, you know, not really, not make fun of, but, you know, just kind of
4: analyze. That's not prime reason for being here. Yeah.
3: Um, All right, this next item from the Aviation Safety uh, Network uh, involves a Lance air, which is, uh, is that a kit built airplane? Um, yeah. Camacho. Yep. Okay. Uh, a Lance air, uh, four dash P prop jet. And I didn't realize that you could actually put a turboprop into mm-hmm. one of these Lance airs, <clears throat> wow. um, must be pretty darn sporty, uh, airplane, uh, with a, with that kind of an engine in it. Um, Let's see, a Charles Hayes experimentally built Lance Air 4P prop jet, uh, November 751 Hotel Papa, sustained substantial damage when it was involved in a runway excursion and collision with a motor vehicle at uh, Arrow Country Airport in McKinney, Texas. Two occupants on board the aircraft and one person inside the vehicle sustained minor injuries. Um... Turns out, uh, let's see. Preliminary information indicates the aircraft experienced pressurization problems shortly after reaching flight level two five zero. A rapid descent was conducted, and the airplane continued towards its destination. One go around was conducted before the airplane landed on runway one seven. Uh, it overran the runway and struck an occupied moving car on the road. So this started with a with an emergency emergency descent, and um, And now we're going to watch the video of this, which is uh, quite
6: interesting, I think. Oh, boom.
7: A plane and a car collide on a McKinney road.
6: I saw the airplane coming down the runway quickly, um, knew that he wasn't going to have time to stop. And uh, it was clearly going too fast. The tires were smoking.
7: Jack Schneider was working nearby and captured this video of the crash.
6: So I quickly pulled out my phone because I could tell something was about to happen. And I watched him go across the ditch um, into the across the fence, through the fence, onto the road, onto the other road. And then, of course, the car and the airplane met.
7: The McKinney Fire Department rushed to the scene on eastbound Virginia Parkway around 1230 Saturday afternoon. Those nearby watched in disbelief. Usually when you drive, you check your left, you check your right, you don't check up. Though. Yeah, it was crazy. He was trying to land and the brakes didn't work. First responders checked out the two people inside the plane that traveled in from Midland, as well as the driver of this vehicle. She was taken to the hospital for minor injuries.
6: She was definitely a surprise. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, um, not something you, you know, expect to have happen to you.
7: Witnesses who spoke with the pilot said it was his first time landing at Aero Airport and that he claimed the aircraft's reverse thrust, which slows the plane down, wasn't working.
6: It was still like completely surreal. I wasn't expecting it, obviously. Everybody's okay though, so we're all thankful that nobody was hurt. In McKinney, I'm I'm Stacia Wilson.
3: Oh boy. Um, So um, Nick, so I guess because it has the um, uh, the, the prop, uh, the turbo prop fitted on it, and the type of propeller system that you use there, because it's a a variable pitch or constant speed prop or whatever you call it, the, you have that. What is it called? Beta, where you can put it basically like like yeah. pushing the air the opposite direction, like a reverse yep.
5: thrust. Yep, it gives you basically reverse. Um, I don't know how common it is to use that on a on a Lancer. Um, so this airframe is uh, you can kind of tell by looking at it, like that's a good view of it right there. Super efficient, really fast airframe. Um, but it is not very forgiving. So it, um, doesn't have a great safety track record. And then also, um, I think it probably lands and, um, stalls quite a bit faster. So a lot of the part 23 airplanes, we fly stall, uh, in, like, the 60, 60 knot range. And uh, some of the stuff that I found on this airplane was that they stall around uh, 73 to 75 knots. So it, it stalls a bit faster. So you're landing a bit faster. Um, version of this plane. UH, UH
3: Blackhawk in uh, our live audience says, I've flown the piston version. You have to land on speed, not slow, but not fast. Yeah. Now, I'm wondering if the whatever issue he was having, lost pressurization or whatever, it doesn't really specify exactly why pressurization was lost and what else was going on that he was having to deal with. Uh, Maybe it was something that required a a much higher approach and landing speed than normal. Um, I don't know. It looks like, as as I said uh, in the uh, uh, aerosafety.net article, that that he had to go around the first attempt and come back around and, and try to land again. Right.
5: Uh, And the other thing, you know, it mentioned was that, you know, he went up to 25,000 feet, which is a common um, altitude for a uh, turbine airplane to fly at, Mm -hmm. pressurized airplane to fly at. Um, Rapid descent, but then he continued on to his destination. So it doesn't seem like it was a safety issue, maybe necessarily. Uh, Yeah. um, Because he flew to his destination now he was in midland and flew to mckinney texas i think mckinney's right outside of dallas so it's not a not like a cross country flight but it's not like he turned around and landed it it right is texas though that's
3: like three or four normal states
5: that's true <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: KFC,
3: KFC has a good question. Uh, KFC uh, says, "I wonder how they exchanged insurance afterwards." <laughs> I know the, the the woman in the car probably uh, went home and said, "Honest, honey, an airplane hit the car." <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Really, I mean, I'm we're not pointing, kidding. Pointing the State Farm guy. <laughs> but um, yeah, so your your point being, um, twenty five thousand feet, you have a pressurization problem. You do an emergency descent, probably down to ten thousand feet and uh go the remaining distance um you know in that kind of an airplane and that kind of a distance it's not it doesn't seem like a a a big deal right
5: no i mean obviously the fuel burn is going to be crushed flying that turbine down at ten thousand feet but right um obviously he thought he had plenty of fuel because he kept going i mean it seems i'm just my point i guess was just that it doesn't seem like it was a flight critical Mm. situation because he continued on to his destination, at least that's what the news article said. Yeah, I'm there. wondering if what exactly
3: else was going. It's like got to be something. I mean, if if other than just the pressurization system not working in the way it's supposed to, yeah, um, it doesn't seem like it would have been a big deal. A normal flight, land, you know, and stop before the uh, end of the uh, runway. <laughs> Um, I'm wondering what else was going on here with this airplane uh, that we don't know, you know.
4: I'm just looking at the stats in the notes, Jeff. uh, Mm -hmm. looks like they were landing on 1,350 feet. I think that's right. And above are the uh, prop jet um, statistics, and it says landing roll 1,400 feet. Now, obviously, that's dependent on a lot of factors, um, but a landing roll of 1,400 feet is, is 50 feet
5: longer than this oh. runway. <laughs> well, uh, the runway at McKinney, where he landed? Well, yeah. I'm
4: assuming it's it's just it's the last piece of information on the uh yeah, on the I show put notes. Yeah,
3: I put that in there because I thought it might be uh, something to talk about.
4: Um, uh, I'm assuming it's McKinney.
3: Oh wait! No, it's four thousand. No, it's it's forty three hundred and fifty two feet. I think yeah. there's one thousand three hundred and fifty feet of turf on the north. Ah,
4: end of the okay. I, I I misread that sentence. My apologies. So I think
3: he used he used the uh, that extra bit of turf at the end of the runway as well before hitting the car. Um,
4: oh, okay. Oh, he's got three thousand feet of asphalt. Okay, so he should have been
5: able to land in half the runway distance.
3: Okay. You would think, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah
5: but there there was, no, there was no there's uh, no weather report right like i no poked through That's here and it nice. didn't it just didn't based talk on not do anything in terms of tailwinds like nice or anything
2: like
3: that no. yeah i'm not sure what the winds were um yeah i don't know scratching my head on this one
4: not good okay
3: um yeah so we'll hopefully find out more about this if, if you're listening out there and you know something about this let us know
4: yeah if you're the pilot we'd love to hear from you
3: <laughs> yes, <laughs> explain yourself, yeah, please. Woman in the car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what did you say, Liz? About?
0: I think Texas shocks from Midland. I'm sure he knows oh, everybody that- in Midland, Texas. So I'm sure he knows. <laughs> yeah, all but they
3: thing. but they left Midland, Texas. So maybe he met yeah, know, Texas shock and said, "I got to get out of here.
0: Got to get out of here. I got to go."
3: I, that might be why he was so rattled, uh, and and that ended up going it. off the end of the runway in, uh, in McKinney. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, let's get to know a couple of you guys. All right, let's do that. Um, time for the show where we get to know us. And uh, it's a excuse Knicks. me. Uh, we have two Nicks here that we want to find out what's been going on with these two. Uh, so let's start with Nick Camacho. <laughs> nothing.
4: nothing. Yeah. The rumors are
5: not true. <laughs>
3: uh-huh. Right. Camacho. Camacho, what have you been up to? You've been doing a lot of uh, traveling?
5: Yeah, I've been bouncing around for work. I got back from California a couple of weeks ago. Um, I was home for a short period, and then I had to turn around and run back to run down to Phoenix for a week. Uh, I just missed uh, Miami Rick when I got down there, and uh, that was, I guess, last week. Uh, and then turned around and ran back home in time for Thanksgiving. Um,
2: Snowstorm.
5: Yep, we had a good. Thanksgiving, a quiet Thanksgiving here. My um, didn't have any other immediate family, it was just my folks and I. So uh, nice. we had a, a smaller little gathering there and then uh, watched a ton of football with the boys. Um, and then on Saturday after Thanksgiving, we had a pretty severe snowstorm here. We got about eight inches of snow uh, in Wichita. And uh, so spent um, the first half of Sunday. Uh, managing all that plowing or uh, shoveling our driveway and helping my folks plow their driveway and um, got everything squared away from that. And uh, I've got a relatively calm week here at home this week of work before I looks like I may have another work trip next week. So uh, unfortunately not making very much progress on my own airplane because I'm in and out so much, but, um, that's, uh, that's about all I got. All right. Well, we're glad that you were
3: able to make it. I know that um, I'm glad we're doing a kind of a two-parter uh, kind of uh, setup for today's show so that you were able to stay with us the the whole uh, first part. And um, yeah, I guess that's all I have to say about that. Um, Captain Nick, um, you've been busy doing lectures and... Talk and yeah, I've been, all that kind I've of stuff.
4: Been keeping myself busy, you know. Yeah. Um. Uh. And uh, if if the lady I did the uh, photo shoot for is uh, listening, I don't think she does, but I'll promise I'll get to your pictures soon. Um. <laughs> last night. Last night. Uh. Yeah. I was. Um, delighted to get an invitation to return to uh, Brooklyn's museum in uh, Weybridge uh, because it's uh, uh, where the Royal Aeronautical Society, the uh, Weybridge branch, meet. And um, the uh, president, uh, Mr. Alan Wynne, and um, the uh, chairman, uh, Mr. John Dunn, they uh, uh, invited me to attend their annual um, R.K. Pearson Memorial Lecture and um, a meal afterwards, which was absolutely delightful. Was an awful lot of very high powered um, and um, well qualified uh, aviation experts, there, engineers, pilots, test pilots, uh, etc. Um, and the food was lovely afterwards, all put on by the uh, Brooklyn. Um, museum they have uh, an area there which is all specially set aside for uh, events and they have a really nice uh, um, kitchen, was wrong wrong, thing, restaurant I suppose is the best way to, to put it um, uh, and uh, we had a lovely, all that was uh, sponsored by um, British Aerospace, which was absolutely great but um, the thing I really wanted to talk about was the lecture given by uh, Professor Ian Pohl. Um, uh, he's got more letters after his name I can shake a stick at. Uh, for a start, he's an OBE, he's an FRE uh, or FRENG, an FCGI uh, with honors, an FAIAA, an FRAES, an Emeritus Professor of Aerospace Engineering at Cranfield University. And um, he was tackling the difficult subject of aviation and the environment. And he started off by telling us that at the current rate of expansion, um, which is just uh, an exponential curve upwards, uh, aviation, which is already gets a lot of bad press uh, with regards our contribution towards global warming, um, is uh, is. Like we're lining ourselves up for a fall and if if we don't do something to find a way to reduce our effect on the atmosphere someone's going to do it for us and much better than we do it ourselves than we have um, restrictions placed on us that might really hamper uh, the industry and he's uh, this professor uh, Paul, very much on our side and he said there I believe that there is one way we can tackle this, uh, and uh, we might be able to reduce our effect on the atmosphere um, by up to 50%, which is an incredible reduction. Now, he's not talking about CO2, and he said one of the problems is everyone in the world is, is uh, sort of zeroed in. They've, they've a microscope on the production of co2 and it's very hard to (laughs) reduce your carbon dioxide impact your footprint um, when you're burning aviation fuel because it's the only way we could really make it work and and even if you're going to invent electric airplanes or hydrogen powered airplanes you're still going to have to create that energy which at the moment we can't do very cleanly, he said. One thing we could do right now, we could do it tomorrow, uh, and we would have a dramatic effect on uh, the damage we're doing to the atmosphere. Would be to avoid laying permanent contrails. Now, it's it, it's a thing that he believes uh, has a significant effect on the atmosphere um, by the fact that when you're flying and leaving persistent contrails. They spread out, they obscure the sky, they hold heat uh, under the contrails, um, and because they spread out when they're in permanent conditions, that kind of very high humid uh, area in the atmosphere, which is very cold, Um, and you need an aircraft to fly through it to trigger the creation of uh, contrails, which themselves can lead to further creation of uh, high-level cirrus clouds. Uh, It's a well-known effect. Um, You know, you end up uh, creating this kind of blanket over the earth that uh, has a significant effect and reflects heat back onto the Earth's surface. And, of course, if you allow the uh, sky to remain clear, uh, the Earth will radiate that heat out into uh, space and it won't be a problem anymore. Um, so he's say- suggesting that just in the, in a similar way to the way we tackled uh, volcanic ash when it became a big factor a few years ago, we we locate the areas where you're going to encounter persistent... Uh, contrails. And you don't fly in them. Uh, You deliberately avoid them. It only requires an adjustment of altitude of probably a couple of thousand feet if you were programmed or flight planned to go into an area and at that altitude where the persistent trails occur. Uh, You might be able to climb above. Uh, You probably will need to descend below. Uh, Either way, it's going to cost you uh, for the duration that you've adjusted your altitude a small increase in fuel burn but he said compared with the enormous saving of our environmental impact that small amount of fuel burn uh, increase uh, is going to be insignificant compared with the percentage of improvement. It was a fascinating lecture. He of course supported it with uh, a lot of facts and figures, a lot of very well reasoned arguments um, a lot of data, um, which, of course, coming from a man of his uh, notability, I I took as uh, you know gospel. Uh, I think as we all should when you've got a, an absolute expert in the field. Um, and um, he said once more, if you do implement this and uh, fly your aircraft uh, or don't fly your aircraft in persistent contrail areas. Uh, he said, we will very quickly notice uh, a difference, which considering the amount of attention we're paying to the atmosphere, we will soon measure and we will work out whether it's working or not. And he said, if, if we find out it's not working, or there's some side effect that we haven't thought of, uh, we just say, okay, well, that didn't work. And we return to our original cruising levels. Um uh, and um he said, "But if we discover that it is having a significant effect, uh it's something we could do very easily at almost negligible uh increasing cost. Uh, obviously, if you adjust your ideal flight level from where you're gonna consume the less fuel and adjust it by a couple of thousand feet, you're gonna probably have a perhaps a one percent increase in fuel burn. He said, compared with the savings." Uh, to the uh, atmosphere, he says, that's significant. Uh, Whether you can convince um, governments, uh, (laughs) considering we're talking about worldwide travel, whether you can can convince the airlines to uh, absorb that cost, whether you have to legislate or whatever, he said. But I think it's important to keep the conversation going because I know we've already mentioned this in a couple of articles that came in our uh, news um, you know before uh, it's really interesting to chat to someone who knows an enormous amount about it and was able to field all the questions including mine which was well uh, how do we detect it in the aircraft how do pilots tell if we're leaving persistent trails or not and Yeah, well if you had a mirror yes <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, <laughs> sadly don't we don't Yeah, we'd need a camera pointing backwards, but even though that it'd be hard to tell the difference between non-persistent and persistent trails, he said, oh no, you just need uh, one gauge, a relative humidity uh, indicator that will tell you when you're in an area of the atmosphere where the humidity is high enough, to create persistent trails. And he said, apart from that, the military. The hardest part, though, with that
3: is that opening up the window when you're up at going
4: that you just stick it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you're quite right. Yeah, we might have to think about that. But he said, the, the military are, already have an intimate knowledge of mm-hmm. when trails... Uh, and they did back in... When I joined the Air Force back in the 70s, we, we were already there able to predict with great accuracy uh, where trails would occur because it's a great tactical yeah. um, piece of knowledge, you know, to not leave a footprint uh, pointing at your airplane when you're trying to creep up on someone. <laughs> so yes, it was very important to avoid them.
3: Yeah, but you know what? I've... um I'm a little confused. You keep referring to these things as contrails, but I thought they were, um, weren't they? Are, chemtrails, yeah. Chemtrails?
4: Well, we try not to talk about that.
2: Well,
3: but KFC the,
0: has a comment there.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, KFC says chemtrails, they're not controlling our minds. Yeah, I, I think
4: the, the advantage is that they're developing uh, a chemtrail that's a bit like the stuff you spray in your toilet. Uh, to get rid of the smell you you don't see that do you it just changes the smell so when you spray that is no visible spray that that's what the new chemtrails will be it'll be like a toilet odor uh thing bottled mm-hmm. spray there yeah yeah all right.
3: yeah sounds very interesting um and then you said that you're going to be um
4: speaking uh what tomorrow um no, oh not- indeed yes in fact
0: yes
4: yes 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 uh jose in the uh chat room is uh, uh hosting me at a dinner he's one of our, our listeners and has been for some time but he's invited me to speak um at uh, his company's uh, Christmas dinner uh, they uh, make radiopharmaceuticals. Uh, pharmaceuticals um, so they're the radioactive element of those uh, uh, things that get Injected into you when you go for a scan, so that the scanner can glow in the dark. detect it. Yeah, it makes you glow in the dark, <laughs> so they'll be able to see you
3: when they're looking for your body after you are walking back from the train station. Oh uh, yeah, they'll be able to find me with yeah, the radioactive up around the bush.
4: <laughs> anyway, he uh, um, he's Jose he's, uh, is uh, in in interested in the safety aspects of his uh, job. And uh, making sure that everything is done uh, correctly, uh, sort of quality assurance. Uh, And um, so he asked for an after dinner speech about threat and error management. Uh, And considering I was usually the threat and I made most of the errors, uh, everyone else was trying to manage me. So um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) So you're intimately. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in, <laughs> intimate
3: with uh indeed, knowledgeable indeed.
4: Uh, so i am going to ball them for 20 minutes or so after the uh, after their dinner in london tomorrow so i'm looking forward to meeting his and uh, chatting to all uh, his company colleagues
3: i can just hear it now he steps up to the uh what do you call it the uh, speaking place the, da- the dais or yeah um that's called something else yeah lect- lectern maybe and he goes
0: you know who i am I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, I must admit the first five minutes is all about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Trying to justify why I'm standing up spouting to all these people who would have been to university and got multiple degrees and all that kind of stuff. So, Yeah,
3: just a bunch of letters.
4: That's all. Yeah.
0: D- Nick, do you want a quick comment on last week's cover art? Yeah, you want
3: oh, a yeah, yeah, quick question? Cover up. Yeah. Oh wait, uh, Camacho has a question. W-
5: was it just me, or did Nick keep saying they were measuring the relative humility? A relative humidity. <laughs> he, he wasn't humility. saying that. They, okay. there's no humility. on the flight deck. <laughs> that's for sure. Well, that's what I. That's what I was going to say. Is the only thing that's going to be harder to change than. Cli- the climate is uh, yeah, well, pilot, pilot human, especially the
3: yeah. uh, the former uh, uh, fighter I pilots. It. I mean, it's really hard to... Yeah,
4: um, yeah I'm just We're writing not. this down as a show title. <laughs> All right,
3: uh, so let's uh, quickly, before we end part one, talk about um, the cover art from our last episode uh, that we titled At One with the Submarine. In reference, of course... To the accident at Kaneohe Bay in uh, the Marine Corps Air Station in uh, Oahu, uh, Hawaii.
4: Yeah, you know, this is exactly how I fondly imagined that the Air Force were going to use their 737 (laughs) anti submarine (laughs) aircraft. (laughs) I was the Navy, was it? Oh, I'm sorry. I assumed it was the Air (laughs) Force. I'm sure you did. Uh, Oh, there you go. Um, the U.S. Navy were going to y- employ their 737s, was actually to sink them and have them motor around hunting them underwater. So I, I thought it would be an appropriate picture yeah. to have a 737 Love floating, floating around beneath the surface of the sea, seeking out uh, submarines. Uh, in fact, I even put a periscope on the top of the 737 there, so you yeah. could uh, you could hunt your submarines. Um, and it sports a, a very nice um, uh, set of uh, logo from uh, the APG, uh, and uh, and for anyone who was trying to find the show number, this this weird looking submarine I found. It's one thing that I thought AI wasn't very good at uh, was creating a nuclear submarine. It really had absolutely no idea what a nuclear submarine look like but uh, if you look on those funny looking circles on the um protuberance from the port side of this uh-huh. submarine you'll see the last three uh, little circles have the numbers oh i guess in. and i don't
3: have it set up to uh, to zoom in on so zoom in. we'll have to uh, we'll have to look at your own version no, of it right. and uh, open it up in something that you can you can yeah. zoom in
4: but I thought that mid-journey did a reasonable job of making a 737. Yeah. That was quite yeah. good, although it it did put give him a double set of nose gear. I think that's probably because the average 737 pilot bangs the nose down. Uh, but yeah. um, I actually had to cut out an entire set of nose oh. wheels. And so, it looks <laughs> like
3: the main gear wheels just, are like nose wheel uh, Size, yes, they are tiny, yeah. aren't they? And then the other thing I'd, I noticed: <laughs> yes, the, the winglets are kind of like Airbus um, sharklets or something—not not the typical, Boeing yeah, know, kind yes. of style.
4: Interesting. <laughs> a guppy in its natural, natural environment. environment. That's Very from good. The, yes. Our live audience, nice UH Blackhawk. Thank you.
3: Very cool. Yeah. I loved it. I love the that look of the water, uh, the 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 light coming from yeah. the surface of the water above. The, yep. A great
4: effect. Indeed. In fact, that is a combination of two pictures because oh. I couldn't get the airplane and the submarine. It wouldn't make it all in the same picture. So we've got a submarine and then I've, I've had to well, you know add what? that. To Nick, you picture.
3: are doing your part to confuse AI um, <laughs> by, by doing <laughs> yes. these things right, and asking for these crazy things. I know. And the uh, AI yeah. is going, these humans are crazier than I thought. So, guys, are we going <laughs> to yeah. do a
0: couple of feedback items? Or, yeah. yeah, let's do,
3: um, how much we time do we have? About, um, uh,
0: 20 minutes after the hour will be the hour and a half mark. So you've got okay. about uh, um, 25 minutes.
3: Yeah, okay. Well, let's do a couple of pieces of okay. feedback then, and then we can uh, experiment with um, people calling in. Um, all right. And what did we decide we were going to we were with gonna with do? We're going to do three four and eleven if
0: we have time.
3: Okay. All right. Uh, number three from Sam. Sam Dawson. In um, he, he's sometimes with us in uh, our live audience. I'm sorry. What did you say, Liz?
0: I didn't know if you wanted to do the feedback bumper or not.
3: Oh, um, sure. I can do the feedback bumper. Uh, here it is. <laughs>
0: Captain, incoming message.
3: All right, uh, first piece of feedback we're going to tackle today in part one is from Sam. I don't
2: think he's in the
3: chat. And uh, sometimes he's here with us in the live audience. Doesn't look like it today. He's probably out there uh, making a living. Um, Captain Jeff, in episode 593, you discussed the NTSB initial report on the crash in Kentucky that took the life of an instructor and his student. In the discussion of being an effective instructor, you discussed the importance of student feedback, and this is something I wish I had done earlier in my career. I was lucky enough to have a good instructor when I attended the IP course, the instructor pilot course, but the environment for teaching at that time was not the best. I think belittling and demeaning feedback was even one of the topics that was covered in the IP course. I would half joke that we wore flight helmets to protect our heads when we got whacked by our IP. I really could have used some student feedback early in my career and didn't realize I was not creating the best environment for learning until years later. I was giving a young pilot straight out of flight school his local orientation and aircraft checkout training during a combat mission into Iraq when I realized that the other pilot was more nervous about flying with me and getting chewed out. Uh, than he was about being shot down. I definitely was not creating an effective learning environment. I would like to say uh, a switch flipped and I immediately changed. While I did not, I did at least take a look in the mirror and resolve to change, something that's taken time. Having said that, I never aired Dirty Laundry or spoke poorly about another pilot outside of those who had a, quote, need to know, such as the standards instructor pilot and the commander since i flew with enlisted crew members as well i also emphasized to them that what took place in the aircraft stayed in the aircraft Uh, the accident you covered will be discussed for years keep the sunny side up sam dawson yeah he's referring to or what i was referring to in episode 593 was that uh, incident uh, where the instructor pilot was doing like a TikTok video and demeaning the student pilot and, and just treating him horribly. And then at the end of it, uh, forced the two of them to fly into, uh, some pretty severe thunderstorm activity. And, uh, that basically, uh, destroyed the, uh, the air, the training airplane that they were in and killed both of them. But it was really appalling at, uh, the way that this instructor, uh, was in quote unquote instructing his student. All right, thank you, Sam. Um, next one I is video. four, yep, video, and oh, that's right. It does involve some video, so, uh, let me get that teed up. Okay, um, so your turn, Captain Nick.
4: Oh, certainly, yeah. Kevin Dryden um, sent this in, and um, he suggested we take a look at it, and it uh, is an analysis of the Lufthansa um, 458, I think it was, um, the A350 that was uh, trying to make an arrival into San Francisco, and he was trying to explain to the controller that his company... Uh, prevented him uh, from uh, flying a um, an approach where he had to uh, maintain visual separation on other aircraft at night. Uh, he could do it during the day, but it wasn't day anymore. And the controller um, said, well, with that restriction, I'm going to have to take you out of the sequence and we'll delay you. Anyway, that delay went on and on and on until... Uh, the, um, pilot, the captain was uh, in the end, uh, forced more or less to divert to, uh, an airfield, um, uh, quite a close airfield. We, we commented that, uh, that diversion would have been not in an ideal, uh, conducted in an ideal way because he had very little time to prepare for it. Um, he had never probably never been there before. Uh, and, um, it was already at the end of a very long flight for him. Uh, he was obviously getting short of fuel because he'd been uh, been delayed in a kind of holding pattern for quite a while. Anyway, there were a lot of factors there to discuss. And uh, Kevin uh, mentioned that another, uh, in this case, a YouTube uh, video, uh, uh, Captain uh, Laura Savino, her, whose channel is called Jet Boss, and uh, she um made uh, very similar comments about uh our analysis um and she anal- saw exactly the same pitfalls um including uh one where you know she said the diversion would have been you know not conducted in, a, in an ideal manner she's sure anyway i uh, i wrote to uh, laura And uh, Because I was particularly interested in her uh, story at the end of this um, piece she did, uh, where she discussed uh, what happened when she had been making an approach and the air traffic controller turned off the ILS. Now, when you're making a visual approach uh, and someone turns off the ILS, you'd think that wouldn't matter because you're making a visual approach but in fact uh, even when we're making visual approaches uh, we like to use every facility that's at our disposal to ensure we conduct it as safely as possible it just goes without saying and the ILS beam is an ideal way just to back up your um, information that your eyes are giving you uh, particularly if it's at night um, and uh, we've just talked about uh, the black yeah. hole effect that can happen to pilots and this is the sort of thing we like to have uh, with us providing us with additional information. She contacted uh, the air traffic controllers and got an unexpected response. so I think we can probably play this she's given us permission yes. to play this piece of her YouTube video so perhaps yeah we can go, we go ahead.
8: All right, I'm just going to talk about one quick uh, incident, and then I'm I'm going to be done, I promise. And this one is my own. Uh, I was coming into land, this was a few years back, coming into land, uh, into Washington, Dulles. On one left, it was at night. We accepted a visual. It was the end of a very long day. We were tired. And, um, yeah, I tune in in the ILS as a backup for, you know, vertical and lateral guidance. But we're flying the visual. Well, as I'm on final, the... um, my indicators just kind of went crazy. I got a ghost glide slope and then everything just pegged out. So wasn't sure what that was all about, but just flipped everything off and just looked at the runway and landed visually. It was no big deal, but I did tell the controller, you know, after landing, you know, I think there's a problem with the ILS. And the controller came back and said, no, nah, we just turned it off. Like while we were on final, they just turned it off. So I tried to explain, well, you know, even though we're cleared for a visual, we're still using our instruments. We're still looking for that guidance uh, on our instruments. And the controller was not hearing it. So I wrote a letter to um, to the airport um, to the you know to the controllers, you know, a nice letter, just letting them know that even though we're on visuals, we still you know, we're still using our instruments. And they posted the letter in their break room, and somebody gave me the letter back and um, apparently there was, (laughs) not apparently, there was a lot of handwritten notes all over my letter, um, all sorts of derogatory, really nasty things about pilots and just, it was not helpful. And they really, they didn't wanna hear it. So, all right, all right, so I I accept that, but it does kind of have me wondering, you know, like pilots like we have to go through CRM training, which is cockpit resource management, which means that we're constantly being taught how to work together, be a team member, really think about what the other, you know, other employees are doing and their perspective, and, um, you know, put all that together to increase safety in every way that we possibly can. And um, I don't know, I kind of think maybe, maybe we should include air traffic controllers in that mix, right? Maybe we should bring them in and we should do a little bit of training together so we can understand each other's perspectives and each other's challenges and what, you know, what we're all doing there. Because everybody everybody wants uh, every aircraft to land safely. And, um, you know, I, I have no doubt of that. So we can always do things better. And always come up with new ways to to increase safety and, I don't know, These incidents just kind of had me thinking. All right. Well, good night, everybody. Thank you for hanging in there. For those of you that are still here at the end, I very much appreciate it. And uh, everybody, have a great night.
3: All right. Thank you, Captain. That was a great uh, great video. And uh, she's so right. Communication and then having respect for each other and trying to help each other out because we are kind of really supposed to be on the same team, right?
4: Oh, indeed. Yeah. We're all on the same side. Uh, We're all trying to do our jobs as professionally as we can, and it really disappoints me when one of our, uh, you know, brethren uh, gets this kind of response from what she obviously thought was um, just a, a gentle reminder explaining why that piece of equipment is important to us and perhaps... You could have waited until, uh, you know, you landed before you turned the damn thing off. Well, you so. know what?
3: Not air tra- <laughs> thought, all air traffic yeah. controllers feel the same way as the controllers uh, do slash did at uh, Dulles International, Washington. Um, because coincidentally, I was listening to um, not the latest um, episode, but at the time it was the latest episode of Opposing Bases, And uh, they were discussing, I think one of their listeners had written in and asked about, you know, asking for and receiving an opposite direction approach and how much uh, hassle does that cause the uh, air traffic controllers to, you know, is it it something as simple as just, you know, flipping a switch and then the the localizer goes the other direction for the opposite direction kind of approach. And anyway, and then RH, uh, one of the hosts said, uh, said this. So uh, let's take a listen.
9: So when you turn the airport around, you have to do the switch on both those aids for both parallels, and you have to wait for the alarm process, which takes time. And you can't have everybody on the old one when you turn it off. They'll get mad when you shut off their guidance. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
5: <laughs> yep.
9: Yes. I, Even if they're I, on the visual, <clears throat> you should wait. That's bad form unless you yes. tell them, "Hey, can you turn your automation off?" Or, "Hey, I'm going to turn the localizer off." Because if they're on the if they're using the ILS to get down, and you turn it off. That's not good. that's that's kind of mean. Yes, if and if you the... forget to switch it back because you ran in opposite direction mm. and then you go back to normal and you're clearing people for visuals and the localizer is off, they're going to ask, "Hey, what's <laughs> happening? <laughs> is this broken? I didn't notice it. I didn't see a notum for a broken ILS. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. I just failed to turn it around.
4: I love that. Hey, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> well, the lovely thing is those guys are also uh, pilots, so mm-hmm. they see things from our perspective as well, mm-hmm. which is great. A
0: couple of chat room comments yep. before you move in. All right.
3: Uh, let's see. UH Blackhawk again from our live audience says, for a while in our our recurrent uh, training, uh, an Atlanta controller would come in. It's very helpful to get the back and forth with them. Yes. Uh, having good Relations, good communication with uh, air traffic control um, is is very important. And he said, uh, "I hall boxes says, I would have taken note of their names and presented them to the FAA. Such attitude has no place in aviation." Now you're talking about RH and AG.
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Make sure that's why reported, we don't so. know their names they, <laughs> they hide behind their initials um, no I, I agree entirely because um, th- that might not be the best way of approaching it because if you're trying to smooth things over and create a better relationship <laughs> sending their names into the FAA is rather an escalation that might you know, be pretty uh, counter uh, active yep. uh, but there you go
0: Quickly to number 11 and right, wrap
3: it up. And then uh, we'll wrap it up with uh, item 11. This is from Dennis. Uh, He says, Greetings, APG crew. I'm a short-time listener, and I am thoroughly enjoying the show. I'm writing in regard to the incident that was talked about in the news segment on episode 594 with the JetBlue aircraft that had the push tug get stuck under the engine. I used to work for a regional airline that was owned by Acme and based in Cincinnati. On one night, we had our last flight come in for the night. We parked the plane, uh, we parked the plane a CRJ-200, between two other CRJs. I was the wing walker. I noticed the aircraft wing was on course to hit the wing of one of the aircraft. I gave the marshaler the X sign to tell the pilot to stop. He gave the pilot the sign to stop. But the pilot ignored the sign and continued to taxi in and struck the wing of the other aircraft. The whole time he's saying, I am the pilot. I do not have to stop unless I want <laughs> i got
0: to get home.
3: After getting the passengers off the plane, the flight crew immediately left for the hotel. <laughs> but myself and the marshaler were forced to stay and get an on-site drug test. I'm surprised they didn't drug test the pilots, too. Uh, the following day, which was my scheduled day off, I got a call from my station manager informing me that he had a conference call with the regional manager and the chief pilot who wanted both myself and the marshaller fired. <laughs> okay.
4: Oh, lovely. Yeah.
3: <laughs> However, my manager informed both the regional manager and the chief pilot that if we got fired, then they were going to need a new station manager. Yeah, that's, that's somebody standing up for Good his for employees. That's great. Good man. When pressed about uh, what discipline came upon the flight crew, the chief pilot got mad and said, I don't discuss that with anyone and hung up. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. The marshaler and I were suspended for the rest of that week. I also wanted to say that I really enjoy the diversity of the crew members. I enjoy hearing the different sides of the aviation world from the GA side with Dr. Steph and the maintenance side with Camacho and how things work on the other side of the pond with Captain Nick and who can forget Liz?
4: No one. Well, certainly we can't. We, we try. No, we, try we, can't. Yeah. We, uh,
3: we just can't forget her, sadly. Uh, Liz does a great job producing the show, he puts in there. I guess he's assuming that if he didn't put that in here, uh, we wouldn't be yeah. reading his it feedback right. right now. <laughs> Liz said, he's right. He says, keep up the great work. Keep the blue side up. And Dennis Tyson. Thank you, Dennis. I'm glad that you're uh, with us on, on the uh, APG uh, team. And, uh, yeah, good to have you here. Hopefully, uh, you know, you'll be able to contribute some more with us and, uh, we'll get a chance to meet you in person at some point in the, in the future.
0: Okay. Wrap this part one up.
3: All right. Uh, I think that's going to uh, do it for part one. Thank you everybody for hanging out with us this uh, last uh, hour and a half or whatever. And, um, and if you can make sure that you, uh, look for our tweets or X posts or whatever they're calling them and Facebook posts and all all the social media stuff uh, letting you know when we uh, are going to record part two with Dr. Steph and, and who knows who else, Uh, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. So thanks.
10: A few moments later.
3: All right, folks, we are back. We record, when did we We record, uh, was it um,
0: Thursday, Thursday? I believe?
3: Yeah, so it's uh, Sunday now, so that's Friday, Saturday, three days later. And and we'd hoped that uh, Dr. Steph would be feeling uh, more up to doing uh, part of the show, part two, with us. And we are even kind of crossing our fingers. Maybe uh, Miami Rick would also be able to join us. But um, with Steph, she's still suffering. So everybody, if you're the praying type, give give her a nice little prayer and uh and make her feel better or put her put, put her in your thoughts
4: and, yeah uh, she's suffering uh she's got a lot of things dribbling from orifices yeah. so not oh, ideal
3: i really. not so sure thought. that we would we wanted to actually go
4: into that <laughs>
0: Thank I'm God sh- we have a title.
3: Detail? Yeah, thank goodness we
4: have a title, all right? <laughs> yes. We, we don't need that as a title. No. You're quite no. right. No, especially I,
3: I just don't want to see that picture at all.
4: No. <laughs> Not at all.
3: Okay. And and uh, so I guess what we're going to do is uh, I can, uh, I'm can. i kind of in between masses right now, and so I, I don't have a lot of time. So we're going to try to squeeze another hour into this thing, and then we're going to call it you know, quits on uh, 596 for this week. Yep and fully, fully uh, cooked fully cooked yeah Ready, stick a fork in of. it we're done <laughs> <Yeah>. um <laughs> so uh, we're going to we're going to start off with um another piece of news probably knock out two pieces of news here and then uh, we'll get another little getting to know us segment and then we'll try to cover some feedback and then uh, that'll be it so um we're going to start with this one here on uh, part 2 we're going to start with this uh from simpleflying.com and the headline is: Airline pilots called in to improve communication between soccer referees. And I guess they're talking about football, right? Not, uh, not American. Well, our, but, uh, our football, football, I yeah, your football. To your football. Well, like yes. most of the world's football. Um, <laughs> yes, indeed. Those kind of guys. Yeah. The referees. summary is: um, uh, airline pilots were invited to speak to the Premier League. Is that the way you pronounce that? Uh, wow. Yeah, indeed. Okay. Uh, referees about effective communication and remaining calm under pressure. Pilots emphasize the need for clarity, accuracy, brevity and communication. Drawing parallels between the roles of pilots and referees, and this initiative aims to improve communication between referees on the pitch and the Video Assistant Referee (VAR) hub. After a miscommunication incident in September, so Nick, you're a little bit more familiar. One, with um, uh, what we call here in the U.S. soccer, but over there, um, football. And you're also kind of um, familiar with trying to um, uh, express and teach and uh, communicate the ideas that we employ as professional airline pilots and apply them into other fields. And I think you just did... Something like that very recently. And uh, so I'm gonna let you uh, here, take
4: the ball. It's your no, ball. take the ball. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That I'm bit bit passing of a hospital it to you. pass, that one I think <laughs> Oh, sorry. Well here, uh, wait. I should I, probably
3: I should probably kick the ball wait. Okay, I just kicked the ball over to you.
4: <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, straight over my head that one went. Oh, sorry. Um so <laughs> it sounds like I mean I'm not familiar with this uh, particular incident. But uh, it sounds like non-standard communications uh, caused a misunderstanding. Now, we're well aware of how that can um be a major problem in aviation. If you uh, say one thing and it's interpreted as something completely different, that of course can lead to a very nasty situation in uh, aviation, uh, where of course lives are at stake. But um, they're just interested in getting everything right. And uh, the other thing is football is played uh, from many different nations. uh, And I I don't know if there is a standardized language within football, but they tend to use English. And it would seem to me that when you've got um, officials from different nations with a a different understanding, uh, level of understanding of English, it's very important to stick to standardized phraseology so that everyone knows what you're talking about. And we're well aware of that, Uh, Use of the radio uh, is much harder for people from different countries, so if you stick to standard phrases, then everyone knows what's going on. I, I remember well uh, speaking to Japanese controllers, and uh, if you didn't ask for anything out of the ordinary, then everything went as smooth as you'd like. But if, if you had a problem, and you, it was a difficult one to explain. <laughs> Yeah. then there was usually a lot of kerfuffle and they'd have to go and find the the top dog who um knew the most english to come, <laughs> come down and you'd have to repeat it over and over again until they eventually got it right but uh, yeah it is it is a problem um So, uh, yeah, they asked uh, pilots from British Airways. I'm not quite sure why they chose them, but uh, I guess, uh, you know, they are renowned, uh, the Nigels of this world. And that's the kind of nickname we, who aren't in British Airways, give all the pilots in uh, British Airways. We call them all Nigel because they all speak with a rather um, toffee-nosed accent. Chummy accent, yeah. Something... Plummy, Chummy, yes, all that. All they those all colors. sound like Nigel Demery. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> now he's a bit of a one-off,
2: and he just yeah, because he didn't he fly ha- for them. He
4: just has that unfortunate. <laughs> just just name. to be clear, now, we're going to get lots of feedback now from BA pilots who aren't Nigel, <laughs> uh, and of course nowadays they and it's, um, it's they- Captain Nick. At airline, <laughs> no, 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 no. they tend to recruit from all parts of uh, the country and the world, and there's not nearly so much concern about regional accents. Uh, anyway, uh, Chris Haven and Peter uh, Nataraj, uh, Peter uh, Pete Nataraj, I I think that's how you pronounce that. Which actually just goes to prove that they got people with uh, from all sorts of backgrounds. uh, Chose to give a a presentation to twenty referees and assistants in Select Group One, which I'm assuming is one of the top groups of uh, officials uh, because they official the premier at the officiate of the Premier League. and um, uh, they only talked for 45 minutes, uh, but made a point of discussing communication, also providing advice on remaining calm in challenging situations, um, which is important. And we, we all know that uh, if you can't keep a calm attitude on the flight deck when there's an emergency happening, then um, you're going to uh, suffer. Uh, you, you're performance will suffer uh, and the result might be very sad. Um, So we we do definitely recommend that people just take a breath and uh, calm themselves down or always have a little think before you take any major action. Uh, And I'm sure they they covered all that. Um, Guidance included the need for clarity, Accuracy. Minimal syllables. So short words because they're easier to understand and a focus on ensuring that dialogue is brief and direct. So it uh, sounds all very good. Um, and uh, yeah, nice to see if uh, it has any effect. Why pilots? They ask? Well, it's mainly due to our work uh, in high pressure environments where communications or poor communication can be a matter of life or death. Uh, We have to be able to talk to different groups over the course of of a flight, providing relevant but different information. Uh, I'm uh, getting this from the text of this. Oh, article, I thought you were just coming up with that
3: extemporaneously. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> this you is good. You'd like to think that, wouldn't you? This is good uh, stuff. But we often make vital and split-second. Well, maybe decisions, that was from his own so. speech. Yeah. In- <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yes, and it says if pilots are frequently cry- required to land abroad. Uh, I think they. May well, have let's not go yeah. there. No don't no, <laughs> a simple, oh. standardized vocabulary. Uh, is vital. Now, saying short uh, sentences, like, uh, short syllables, <laughs> we're not getting many of those in this article, but there you go. Anyway, it all sounds very interesting, mixing football and flying, so I like that.
3: Yeah, it looks like that September incident, uh, an assistant said, give it, but it was unclear whether he was referring to the goal or the offside penalty, resulting in the referee making the wrong call.
4: Oh, ah, interesting. Oh, there you go. Well, the, the guy should have asked for clarification. Then, so yeah. Both both were in error there, I think.
3: I agree. And that's, again, something that we do in in our world. You know, we uh, if we're not yeah. quite sure exactly what they mean, let's ask a couple of more follow-up questions and make sure that we're going to do what they expect us to do or, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, do what we think that they want us to do. Um, absolutely and and the thing now liz can you put up that first um slide uh, of the referees there i want to just say that they've they've been making some progress um because obviously they called up each other and communicated what are we going to wear today (laughs) and they're all coordinated (laughs) very nice in this picture they are and
4: uh, what they they're wearing ea which is uh the a, a games manifest. Oh, that's right. Not EA even, no. Games. Oh, yeah. Like oh, well. Monica. So this is probably, these are virtual officials, perhaps. Oh. I don't know. Anyway. No, nothing like about it. Like a
0: remote tower. like remote They're officials.
4: probably just being sponsored by EA Games. Probably, yeah.
3: Okay, well, very good. Thank you, uh, thank you Nick. Now, uh, are you going to talk about uh, your talk uh, in the Getting to Know Us segment?
4: I'll probably mention it, yeah, but but only in passing because it's done and dusted. Okay,
3: good. All right, Uh, let's see. Let's go ahead and do the next item, and then we'll move to the getting to know Livestock item. Um, Pardon me?
0: Livestock.
3: Livestock, yes.
0: You know, horses, livestock.
3: Gotcha, yeah. It's a live stream. We're going to talk about livestock. Let's see, this is from, what is this from? I can't see the... uh... The link to the article. Uh, It looks like Fox Business. Fox Business News, okay. Um, Let's see, a a horse? A horse is a horse, of course, of course. uh, Escapes a stall in cargo hold during flight. Uh, Looks like a Boeing 747 had to return to Kennedy. And, uh, well, um, oh, I see. I just didn't scroll down far enough here. Thank you business. Uh, Boeing 747 cargo plane headed to Belgium was forced to dump 20 tons of fuel into the Atlantic Ocean and return to John F. Kennedy International Airport after a horse on board broke free of its stall Thursday. Now, we talk about stalls here and how dangerous they can be, especially on <laughs> very large airplanes. Um, mm-hmm. But this is kind of a different kind of a stall. This is a horse stall in an Air Atlantic uh, <laughs> yeah, Air I didn't
4: a- know horses could stall. Well,
3: apparently they honestly. can <laughs> the the uh air atlanta icelandic charter aircraft by the way air atlanta it's i don't know why they're they call themselves that but they're they have nothing to do with atlanta georgia it's uh, an iceland uh, iceland and icelandic um Ooh. charter uh company
2: Confusing. hey if you know
3: if you're in the um live audience and you know why they call themselves air atlanta let me know cuz i'm i'm kind of curious i'm
4: sure it's because all their flights have to go over the atlantic
3: well, I mean, but no, but it's Atlanta, not Atlantic.
4: Uh, like Atlanta, yeah. Georgia. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'm sure Liz will look up Atlanta I, I'm and see trying. if,
1: if
3: ah, I'm she's trying.
1: stuff.
4: All
3: right. They're on it. Uh, they just reached 31,000 feet about 30 minutes after takeoff when its pilot radioed air, tra- air traffic control, according to Flight Radar 24. So let's, uh, that would be a good cue, I think, for me to uh, play this. Uh, this video which has some of that audio in it I believe let's have a listen this is from you can see ATC reconstruction um, and again it's the air uh, air Atlanta Icelandic uh, the horse got out of the stall and we're going to hear some of the live ATC uh, recordings here very very shortly Boston uh, Alphabraudder 4592 uh,
11: Slammigfando 332 Atlanta 4592 Boston Center, welcome I'm Boston Center for Browdelta 4592. I 4592 Atlanta 4592, guys. Uh, yes, sir, uh, we are a cargo plane. Uh, we have live animal horse on board the airplane, and the horse managed to escape his stall. Uh, we don't have a, a problem as of flying-wise, but we need to return, return back to New York. We cannot get the horse back secure. Atlanta four five nine two, uh, Roger. You are cleared to Kennedy via radar vectors. For now, fly your present heading. Descend and maintain flight level two two zero. Okay, uh, radar vectors, uh, present heading. Descend now, flight level two two zero. Four five nine two, thank you. Atlanta four five nine two, fly heading uh, zero one zero. That exiter will it off at the four five nine two. Atlanta 4592, I have a uh, routing to Kennedy when you're ready to copy. Bye Okay, from Atlanta 4592, go ahead. Atlanta 4592, you are cleared uh, when able. A left turn direct to Sierra Echo Yankee to join the Part 3 arrival. Okay, Sierra Echo Yankee to Part 3 arrival, uh, Atlanta 4592. Thank you, sir. Atlanta 4592, read back, correct, thank you. Uh, Boston, Atlanta 4592. Atlanta 4592, go ahead. Uh, Yes sir, Uh, due to our weight we need to uh, dump 20 tons of fuel. Atlanta 4592, uh, you said you need to dump fuel? Uh, Yes sir, Uh, about 20 tons the 4592, uh, roger. Turn right, heading of uh, 090, and once established on that heading, you are approved to conduct uh, fuel dumping. Okay, correct. Uh, Turning right, uh, 090, maintaining 220 for the dump, and I will uh, let you know when finished, 4592. the 4592, uh, roger, and just let me know when you start the dumping.
4: Will do. Is this bloke asked for the shotgun yet?
11: Alpha, Broad Delta 45. To uh Metam 220, we will uh, commence uh, fuel dumping this time. Lansa 4592, Roger. Aircraft, uh, fuel dumping in progress, uh, approximately ten miles west of uh, Martha's Vineyard, flight level two two zero, uh turning eastbound by heavy seven forty seven.
4: I hope they remember to wash the grapes. Oh
2: yeah.
11: on Boston Atlanta four five nine two. Lansa four five nine two, go ahead. I do believe uh, we need a vet, veterinarian, I guess you call it, uh, for the horse upon landing. Uh, is that something you can uh, speak to New York about? to 4592, I'll pass that on. Thank you, sir.
0: They need a Wrangler. to
11: 4592, Boston. Yes, yeah, sir, go ahead. Atlanta 4592, uh, about how long in time is uh, fuel dumping going to take? Uh, two zero minutes, 20 minutes. Roger.
3: All right, they're showing this depiction on the video.
11: Atlanta 4592, turn right, heading 270. Turn right 270,
3: 4592. You can see the yeah. simulated radar track.
4: Yeah, the real one's so all yeah, wiggly.
11: 4592, maintaining flight We have com- uh, completed our fuel dumping. Lantus 4592, uh, roger. Direct Sierra Echo Yankee. Sierra Echo Yankee, uh, 4592, thank you. Tension aircraft uh, fuel dumping east of Nantucket is uh, terminated. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly, the article says they dump fuel in the and sea. Of, of course four, they five don't. Nine two,
11: contact box
4: center 135.8. Maybe yeah, over it's the over sea. the sea, but yeah, it evaporates before it reaches the sea.
11: Atlanta,
2: 4592,
11: contact Boston Center, one three five decimal eight. One Thank you. 4592. Office Center,
3: uh 4592,
11: maintain Good point. Good point. Good point. Good point. Good point.
3: Do you recall if there's anything interesting after us?
0: No. I think I think that's about enough, really. Yeah.
3: yeah. All right, I'm going to stop it there um, because I, I can't recall if there was anything notable in the communications I can't either.
2: I don't think
3: uh, after the fuel dumping and and such. And Micah uh, was saying, can you talk a little bit about how the movements of an 1,100 pound racehorse could affect the center of gravity, the CG? On an aircraft of that size, this is a seven forty seven. I can't imagine that they would oh,
4: feel a thing. I, I think <laughs> if he got all the way to the cockpit, it would uh, create quite a problem. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't has think to be do too CG. worried about the gravity. Brad, has a comment here, Jeff. <laughs>
3: uh, Brad uh, so oh hey, Brad. I'm um, surprised they weren't they weren't further offshore for the uh, for the fuel dumping. I yeah, I yeah, don't again, think
4: that's a factor. Yeah. Um, because whether you're over water or over land, it's still going to dissipate. It's going to evaporate before it reaches either. Uh, So the height they were at, what, 20,000? Yeah, Uh, 22. You can dump down as low as 5,000, and it will disappear before it reaches either. So it's not usually a consideration. Some um, uh, control zones do have a dumping area uh, where they prefer it to be done. Uh, but if in an emergency, you're allowed to dump wherever. Okay. Um,
3: in the article, did it say if the horse was injured? I mean, I'm just curious because they asked for a veterinarian. I,
4: I didn't. I didn't read anything. But I, uh, uh, my father, occasionally um, used to fly with uh, horses on board um, his airliners, and he said they always had a um a handler uh with a um one of those um <laughs> I was going to say uh, painless uh no, bolt guns but i don't think it's oh. necessarily painless they they had a method of euthanizing uh the, an animal that went berserk on the airplane mm-hmm. if they went berserk um so <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know if they had that facility on this 747. I'm sure I've chatted to to Rick about it, and he said sometimes they do have handlers with animals. If they, but these race horses are worth a lot of money. Yeah. So you don't really want to put a bolt in one, the head of one, unless you absolutely have to.
3: Maybe they just needed the vet to uh, administer some kind of a tranquilizer or something, mm. to, or to, something to calm yeah, the horse down.
4: A, whatever. Indeed.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, well, very good. Uh, anything else to uh, comment on on that one?
4: Or Are we good? I'm desperately trying to think of another joke about horses on a plane. Oh but well, I don't want to.
3: Do, I want to wait for that. Oh,
4: uh, main man, Micah came up with. Uh, they landed down at Kennedy due to a horse with no name. It's pretty hard to sing that one. <laughs> that, well, you My did a fair. very nice
3: job, I have to say.
4: It's so good to be out of the rain.
3: Actually, Jeff,
0: it says the horse was successfully restrapped oh, in. Oh,
4: the, the,
3: the horse was successfully restrapped. I think after they got on the ground and they were on the ramp. Correct. Um, somehow and then they, they went got to it all corralled. And, uh, and then, of course, it would be a great time for me to play um, Yeehaw if I could find it. Yeehaw, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't. Uh, here we go. Yeehaw! Oh, yeah. Oh, they shouldn't oh, have used so the gun. Oh, Darn it. oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh, they, they shoot Everything's under still, control right? now.
4: <laughs> they do indeed. Oh, no. That's
3: a shame. That yeah, oh, was a nice a, horse. That, that, that,
0: mm. All right, let's get to know a couple of All right, of you guys. let's
3: get to know us then. Um, yeah. Get to know us, getting to know us, part two. It's the time of the show where we kind of get all caught up with what we've been doing, what we've been up to. Um, I, you want to go first or you want me to go first, uh, Nick?
4: Oh, you go first. Okay. Jeff. They've heard enough of me.
3: Well, that's for sure. Um, so <laughs> I, uh, I didn't I didn't get to say anything earlier in the show. You, you remember the show that we're, we're in the middle of right now?
4: Um, yeah, but, I thought uh, I dodged a bullet there, you see. <laughs> and here I am back again. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Yeah, I know. You didn't think you were going to be here yeah, for part junior, uh, two, did you? But not yet. Yeah, that's what you get for thinking. Anyway, um, so I've been, you know, doing my typical singing stuff as I'm like, I'm want to do. And um, and then the uh, really, you know, this I love this retirement thing. I'm doing nothing but um, podcasting stuff and uh, singing at my church and uh, eating and drinking and sleeping. Pretty much, and, and also I'd like to go out. Uh, there's not far from my home here. In, well, it's not. Well, I guess it's my home. My apartment is um, the uh, Chattahoochee River. Uh, no, yeah, Chattahoochee River Nature Center or Nature Reserve or something like. It. It's part of the national park system. I Does that
4: mean you walk around naked?
3: Yes. Well, I, I like to. Um, although <laughs> I, I've uh, I've run into um, some resistance on that. Uh, <laughs> But uh, in general, not too many people well, are out I, I, there to I found buser helps if you have resistance. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. It's the Chattahoochee
0: wow. River National <laughs> yeah,
3: Recreation. What What's that, uh, Chattahoochee
0: River National Recreation Area.
3: Okay, yeah, I think I got that right. Chattahoochee River National Recreation Area. And uh, so it's a, it's a wonderful trail system uh, near the Vickery River or Vickery Creek, or I think they call it now the, the Big Creek or something like that, and it flows into the Chattahoochee River. And anyway... Bunch of nice, um, you know. You you start walking these trails and you feel like you're, you know, out in the out in the woods and the mountains or something. So it's very nice. Anyway, so I've been doing that as well, trying to keep my health up. And um, let's see, that's it. So um, I can uh, tell you though, and we've discussed this or uh, promoted it on several episodes before this one. Uh, the um, the Journey Is the Reward podcast. Uh, Pass passenger, no Pasadena, Brian um, and main man Micah or uh, Brian Coleman, um, as he is known to everybody else outside of APG. Um, they started this uh, show again. Yeah, he and Micah, and they had a meetup. And you'll recall um, our promotion of that meetup down in the Tampa-St. Petersburg area, uh, specifically Largo, uh, Florida at, uh, uh, what's it called, your, um, your pizza, your pie, pizza your place, pie, pie, your pie, our pie, everybody's pie. What is it,
0: Liz? Your pizza place.
3: Your pizza it? shop, uh, or what's your pizza, pl- pizza place. And um, anyway, uh, they were able to record some audio from this meetup. So let's have a listen.
10: Hey, Captain Jeff. Hey, everybody. We're here. The meetup actually happened. Yeah, we're at your pizza place. Yeah, no, I know, it's not your pizza place. It's a pizza place called your pizza place here in Largo, Florida. So Brian, you brought some people with you. I know. Isn't this incredible that people actually showed up to our meetup? I think it's absolutely fabulous, but you know what's amazing? I mean, your mom had to come and we'll talk to her in a minute. And I suppose Linda, who hangs out with your mom, had to come too, but You had a cousin that actually showed up. Friends and family. It's all important about friends and family to fill the audience. So, Cousin Dawn, did you have any idea that you were going to face all these people here when you showed up to see your Aunt Dolores?
8: No, I did not.
10: And what do you think about this kind of group?
8: It's very interesting and entertaining to watch.
10: Cousin Dawn really doesn't want to talk to us. But that's all right, because we have Mama Coleman, and Mama Coleman is absolutely fabulous. What did you expect when you came here? Did you think there was going to be anything like this kind of meetup and people showing up?
0: No, I didn't. It was another surprise in Brian's long list of surprises.
10: But aren't aviation people fun?
0: Yes, absolutely.
10: Now, Linda, you knew this was going to happen. And I know you have your mouth full now, but I'll give you time to swallow while I vamp. But did you expect that we were going to get people to show up just to come meet me and Brian and you guys?
9: No, I never expected it. I thought he was crazy.
10: (laughs) And one of the things that's amazing, and I don't know if you could ever hear any of that conversation, aviation people really hang together. Did you have any idea how that works?
9: No, not until I talked to you two guys together today. I didn't know that it was like one big happy family and that everybody watched everybody else's podcasts and knows each other. I think this is great.
10: It's kind of like hangar talk. You're just meeting new old friends all the time.
9: I'm going to listen to more podcasts.
10: Well, you're one of us now. Thanks so much for being here. See, Micah, we've converted another. You know what? Let's ask Jay a question. How are the wings?
12: The wings are fantastic, Micah.
10: Well, that's good to hear. We're here with Sean and Jay, as well as Sean's girlfriend, wife-to-be, Penny, who will be back in a moment. And the meetup's already going wonderful. We got a great crew, but we've got, and we've got a wonderful waitress here too. And she's bringing incredible looking subs. Wow, they have more than pizza. Jay, I got an email from you saying you were coming, described who you were, you walked in the door and knew exactly who you were. And then we found out we have a main connection. Tell us a little bit about the Maine connection.
12: My parents are both from Maine. Uh, I was born and raised in Maine in Portland and uh, spent some time living in Biddeford when I was young as a kid and then up in Aroostook County um, and talking about aviation. Uh, My passion for aviation started in Frenchville, Maine, at Foxtrot Victor Echo, uh, where I worked in high school uh, as a line guy. I was the only person there at the airport. I would uh, rent out the one rental car that we had and I would go out and fuel up the airplanes when it was 20 below zero with blowing wind I'm climbing the ladder uh, putting 100 low lead into the wings and uh, and I worked in exchange for flight instruction up there and I was very fortunate and blessed to be able to uh, to solo uh, when I was 16 years old in 1994 I believe in May I have the newspaper clipping that my mom uh, my mom saved and, and that's where my passion for aviation really began and over the years, I've been able to get my private, my instrument, my multi-engine rating. I've been able to share a Bonanza airplane with a good friend of mine in Pennsylvania, which is where uh, we live for the last 17 years. Um, almost as beautiful as Maine is. Um, I, I, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yep. But uh, but now I'm just enjoying uh, being here, meeting uh, Mike and Brian, and. Uh, and the rest of the folks that have come out to just talk about their passion of aviation and airplanes, and uh, it's just a, it's great to finally meet you guys. I've been um, listening to you guys for a long
10: time. You do great work. Well, thank you, and thanks for coming. And then we have listener Sean, and Sean, you're also a private pilot. And where did you hear about this crazy meetup?
3: I heard about this on APG. It was uh, what I guess two weeks ago we uh, mentioned this, and I've, I'll be honest, I've listened a little bit because I've been too busy. I'm trying to get my
9: uh, ratings done here, but um, yeah, I've been listening on there since about uh, 2015, I think it was episode uh, somewhere in the 90s. So,
10: now you had mentioned that APG is the most expensive podcast you ever listened to. Can you kind of? That, that, that's a little interesting st- statement to be making.
9: Oh yeah, this is the, the, the whole idea of the coffee fund. That's a gateway drug. That that that's what they. That, that's just the introduction. Is eventually you listen long enough, you start looking at these planes and want to get on them. Then you realize you want to fly them.
3: And that's when it gets expensive.
10: So you're on your way to your PPL at this point. Is that what's going on?
3: Yeah. At this point, just need to get the uh, written done because all the testing centers were closed for COVID.
9: So I got got written, get the check ride, and then uh, get the you know get my PPL. And after
10: that, straight to instrument. We mentioned that you brought your incredibly wonderful fiance with you, Penny. Now, Penny, are you going to talk with us? Yes, you are. You really need to. And I'm going to even let Jay hold the microphone. And the question I need to ask you, Penny, is how do you put up and decide you're going to marry a man that's going to be spending all this time learning to fly and flying?
8: Because I love to travel. And so I like the idea of that when we actually get on the plane, it's on our time and not on the commercial flight's time. So if we want to just decide, hey, let's go up to Niagara Falls and get some poutine, we can just get on the plane and go up to Niagara Falls and get us some poutine. Or if we want to go get some um, gumbo in uh, New Orleans, we can go get some gumbo in New Orleans. It's all on our time and not on Deltas or any of the other commercial flights.
10: Well, I can't help you with the gumbo, but if you want to come up to Maine, we can find some poutine, can't we? What do you say, Jay? can you find poutine in Biddeford? Oh, absolutely. Some good old puts in. Very good. Correct. Hey, you guys, thank you so much for coming to the meetup. It just once again proves that aviation brings people together and you don't meet old new friends. You meet new old friends. So nice to have you here. Back to you, Jeff, in the studio.
3: Hey, well, thank you, Micah. Uh, nice recording. Um, he does wonderful work, doesn't he? Uh, our oh, main a professional. Man, Micah. Yes. Um, Got a, got a lot of uh, professional experience and working in audio, and you can tell. Um, anyway, so it was nice to see that um, a couple of our uh, listeners, or part of our community, uh, ended up uh, joining the uh, uh, the uh, the journey is the reward community uh, up in uh, in Largo or down in Largo, I guess it's pretty far south. Um, and uh, yeah, that was uh, that was great. Thank you very much for sharing that with us and very nice of uh of Sean and Jay and Jay's uh, fiance to uh, to make it uh there and uh give some nice hospitality to Brian Coleman and main man Micah.
4: Yeah, good job guys.
0: So Nick's been busy since Yeah, the Nick has been part busy. Part what did you
3: so that was Thursday and now it's Sunday yeah. and I don't you know it seems like every time I'm looking at my iPhone I'm seeing some something going on with uh, <laughs> captain Nick he's a very popular very well, busy man
4: yeah this week has been uh, a bit hectic um, f- uh, first of all I did mention I was going up to give a speech at uh, a dinner and we actually had Jose in the chat room on the first half uh, and um, he was the the lovely guy that invited me to this uh, company dinner uh, for Curium, uh, this company that makes radioactive isotopes, but you've heard all about that. Anyway, the meal was lovely. Uh, oh, steak tartare, duck breast, uh, and lovely. Yeah. I went for the cheese for dessert. Lots of um, wine was flowing, you know, bubbly, and uh, it was. Uh, Definitely uh, worth going to. And then I sent everyone to sleep with tw- 25 <laughs> minutes of banter about uh, threat and error management. So um, uh, my apologies for that, Jose. Uh, I'll never get invited back. I, I do realize <laughs> that. But I enjoyed the meal anyway, Um uh, it was uh, in a very uh, exclusive uh, chop house in uh, a lovely part of London, so mm. uh, very close between sort of Tower Bridge and London Bridge. So, Did you actually, make that I, train coming home? As I um, went past uh, Tower Bridge, I was thinking of Steph, who ran her marathon over it not that long ago. Um, but uh, getting home was uh, a little bit of a hassle. I didn't quite make it. In fact, I got on the wrong train as well because the app on my phone gave me the wrong platform. I leapt on this train thinking, oh, I've made it, little did I realize uh, that I was on the wrong train. I had to leap off again, run for the platform, missed my train. Wow. Um, so, but I, uh, I see, I've been a clever boy. Uh, there was still one left. Oh, and I got goodness. on the last Phew. train to Lys. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then a title I, had to, too. I had to walk through the, the, the darkening streets uh, waiting for the werewolves to come out and grab me as I tried to walk from the station for the couple of miles back home. By the by, um, much nicer was um, the very next night, which uh, was a charity dinner, a Christmas charity dinner, which we always go to. Run uh, on behalf of the Macmillan Charity, which uh, are a fantastic nursing charity that provide end of life care. Uh, so, an awful lot of people are. Come across them here in the UK, and uh, they are marvellous. But so we doll ourselves up. It's uh did you um, have to keep reminding
3: them? No, 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 not me, not me. I'm I'm here for. <laughs> I'm, giving I'm not money. a
4: patient. I, I, I'm still yeah, living. Not yet. No, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, it gave me a chance to get my dinner jacket out, and Julie was equally. uh Beautifully dressed, uh, and uh, there I am with my Christmas Cut waistcoat. Cut a figure, you two. And uh, then we came home, and uh, I thought I'd take one nice picture. Little, little did I realize the next day this morning I would be out walking the dogs, and I uh, wouldn't uh, <laughs> get home before we had a flat uh, which in its, uh, you know, it's not really a big deal, is it? You get out the spare, which modern cars now, they've got one of these space savers. But I, I didn't, <laughs> didn't realise that I was going to have difficulty. I didn't have the tool required to take the caps off the nuts now, you see, it looks like there's just five nuts there on my wheel. No, they're actually caps, and you've got to get them off before you can put the spanner on. Uh, and I had to call out the RAC. So I, uh, the dogs and I spent a weary couple of hours uh, while all that happened, and eventually... Uh, uh, we got it home, uh, and I've then spent the rest of the day thinking, oh, I'll put my feet up. Uh, oh, no, hang on a minute. I've got a show to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I've had an interesting day. I hope Boxes
0: has a good comment there for you, Nick.
4: Despair ain't just a tire in the tr- <laughs> oh, Very good. <laughs> yes, I, I was despairing. Big problem, really, because in the Volvo, I've got three big dogs. And I had to get them out of the back, beside a very busy road, uh, before I could lift the boot up and uh, get into the spare tyre. Anyway, I've now ordered the appropriate tool to remove the caps off the nuts. I mean, just... Show us the nuts. Show us your nuts, Volvo. <laughs> There's a show uh, title. Yeah, sadly. <laughs> sadly, sadly, uh, and why they ready. have to put a cover that looks like a nut on a nut? I really yeah, it don't doesn't make any that sense major. at all to me. Uh, not to me. Hmm. Say Let's do some yeah.
0: coffee fun now, quickly.
4: All
3: right. Oh yeah, we should do some coffee fun. Good idea, Liz. Uh, let me get over here and push this button here. All right.
12: Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks.
1: I love coffee, I love tea. I love the APG community. Community. Coffee and tea, and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup.
3: Oh, yeah, the coffee fund. That's Jeff Smith, the jingle master. singing the uh, APG Coffee Fund, uh, the Java Jive, our version. And uh, the Coffee Fund is your way to support our show financially if you have the resources to do so. And we have a couple of different ways for you to do that. Uh, One is the Coffee Fund Classic Method. And since our last episode, we have a couple of uh, contributors, um, Tom Durand and Philip Biggin. And, uh, I have the asterisk there because Tom, uh, Durand, uh, actually, uh, sent a note, uh, in with his, uh, PayPal donation. he says, love listening to your show. All the best Tom Durand. So thank you, Tom. And, uh, let's see. Oh, the other way that you can participate in financial support is to become a patron of the show via Patreon. And since the last show, We have a new producer, Alex Robinson. Yay. So welcome aboard the uh, Coffee Fund cadre and the uh, Coffee Bar Club and all that. If you want to learn more about how you can join this great group of folks, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did, and we will too.
0: Captain. Incoming message.
3: This is sent to us from our APG announcer, Roger, Radio Roger. Um, a passenger has captured the heartwarming moment. By the way, this is from the New York post.com A passenger has captured the heartwar- heartwarming moment a pilot gave an emotional speech on his last flight after 32 years with American Airlines.
0: 32? What a lightweight. Before
3: I know, 32? That's nothing. Uh, I got 35. Uh, before his retirement flight <laughs> took off to Chicago last week, Jeff Fell. At first, when I saw this, I went, "What, Jeff? Jeff Feldman?
1: No, again?" Jeff yeah.
3: Fell. Right. Yeah, he, I think he, I thought he had already retired from American, but uh, anyway, uh, very similar name. Well,
4: uh, why did he fall? Was he? A bit well, t- I don't know t- why Jeff fell.
3: Maybe he'll tell us on in his in this video. His
2: heartwarming video.
3: And he stood at the front of the cabin to give his final farewell. At first, his address seemed like any other and then of course they go into detail here what what he did but hey we have the video so yeah. that's what we're going to do we're going to play it and then you can watch and listen to um, jeff fell good evening everybody um can
9: everybody hear me all the way in the back yeah. all right, Yeah. Great. speak up um first of all uh, good evening yeah, ladies and the gentlemen uh, welcome aboard 2561 to the chicago's o'hare international airport my name is Jeff Fell. I'm the captain on the flight going to Chicago tonight, and our flying time up to Chicago is two hours and 43 minutes uh, from takeoff to touchdown, and the weather during the climb-out cruise and descent into Chicago is very nice easy tonight. I normally don't stand up in front of everybody like this. I usually just stand on the, uh, or I just stay on the cockpit and uh, talk on the PA, and if I get a little emotional, please forgive me uh, for that. But. Uh, first of all, I'd like to take just a few moments of your time uh, before we take off to Chicago tonight, and I'd like to acknowledge uh, a group of very important people to me um, that are on the, on board the flight. Most yeah. of them are in the back of the airplane, and uh, they're the majority of my family, and they have, who have come along with me on my retirement flight. Oh. Uh, <laughs> anyway. They're on board with me. For uh, I'm on retirement flight after 32 years with American. Wow! Thank you all for coming along uh, with me tonight and celebrating uh, this very memorable time in my life. I love all of you. And uh, also, you know, I didn't want to get emotional, but goodness gracious! Anyways, finally, um, for my wonderful wife, Julie, who has been at my side for the majority of my 32 years at American, she has been the rock, uh, the solid rock in our foundation in our lives and our marriage. Her faith in the Lord, wisdom, strength, and love has guided our marriage and family throughout these years. I love you and look forward to the next chapter in our lives. And welcome aboard,
1: everybody. (laughs)
3: So sadly, um, he had an emotional breakdown and they had to find another, a replacement pilot.
4: <laughs> that, his, his retirement
3: flight. <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah, and
4: that was all a bit much for him. Poor champ.
3: <laughs> and, I can, and I, you know what, um, I, I understand getting emotional because I'm, I'm kind of an emotional guy myself. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to do mm-hmm. what the, this retirement thing like he did it. Um, because I know for, I'd be a blubbering idiot.
0: Um,
4: you know,
3: so...
0: Yeah, we'd all be um, there heckling you, too.
3: Yeah, you guys would be heckling
4: heckling me. Oh, yeah, don't worry, we wouldn't let you start that. (laughs) That's true, I probably wouldn't be crying.
3: I'd probably be getting all irritated and angry with you guys. Remove those
0: people from the plane, remove them from the plane.
4: Yeah, Yeah. to those hecklers, get them off.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, that was a a very touching and heartwarming moment for uh, Captain Jeff Fell. Thirty-two years with American Airlines. Good job, sir. Um, thank you for your service. And you um, know, uh, there are a lot of us um, in the in this time uh, retiring right now. A big group of people, um, you know, that got hired in the hiring surge in the mm-hmm. um, in the eighties uh, and nineties. So uh, this is something that's going to be qu- quite a common occurrence. I would Micah imagine a for a tough. lot of folks. The main man Micah says, We were just, uh, we would get you a couple of drinks before the flight. That way you'd be calm. Hey, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, you know, sadly, I'm not going to be able to do that. Oh, well. That's okay. Um,
0: we'll calm you down anyway.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah. This whole thing, just doing this podcast is making me nervous and stressed. Jeff, no kidding. Um, Let's I just do a quick a
0: one, Jeff, and then wind it up maybe. The- okay. Fourteen, Mike Newman, about the crazy guy at Minneapolis, St. Paul.
4: Oh yeah, okay. Let's
3: uh, do which one? 14? Fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah. Oh, there's nothing
4: oh. more I love the crazy people in aviation. <laughs>
3: yeah, okay. So, so I was. Um, this was a few few days back, um, and who, who in, sent in this my, in? Pardon me.
0: Who sent this in?
3: Oh, this is from Mike. I was going to tell him. Oh, sorry, okay. um, sorry. Mike, uh, in uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul area, and uh, he sent uh, me a, um, an email to my personal email, Jeff at airlinepilotguy dot com, and um, and sh- and sent me a screenshot. And um, yep. are you showing just, just the screenshot that, yet? Just getting
0: there.
3: Okay. Um, so the screenshot that he sent me should be the first uh, slide. Yeah. Um, Got it. We're about to get that out there on the screen there if you're watching the video. Okay, that's what he sent me, and uh, his email said, "Saw this guy doing crazy flying from Lyft on the way to air on uh, to the on the way to the airport." So I think Mike must have been uh, on a Lyft like an Uber ride to the airport, and he said, "I bet he got the controller's attention." And I looked at this this flight um, uh, path um, from. Um, Flight Radar 24, and I thought, oh my gosh, it looks like he he made it all the way up toward um, the approach end of the the 30s, three zero left and three zero right, and uh, also kind of in the path of the uh, runway 1735, and I'm thinking, oh man, that is not a good place to be flying a Cessna 177, November 2306 Yankee, and I'm thinking, was oh, this like a student pilot? Did he get all all turned turn around and think that this is a like a private airport that he's trying to come in and land on or something. I don't know. So I, I wrote back to Mike and said, "Holy crap! Did he try to land at MSP by mistake? And I wonder what the story is on this one." So I started digging in. I put my my detective hat on, and uh, I really don't have a detective. hat. I should get one. We
0: need it. Yeah, you can need. To get I, one. Did
3: some, uh, <laughs> I did some. I did some <laughs> sleuthing. Yeah, I'll
4: buy you one for Christmas.
3: Oh, thanks. Yeah, no need. I don't need any more stuff. Um, anyway, uh, so I started digging in thinking I'm going to find some audio. Uh, so I went to liveatc.net, and I thought, okay, I know about when this happened and, <laughs> and, uh, so I need to, uh, you know, find, uh, approach control or departure control, or maybe even guard up there, you know, and listen to that and see what's going on. And, uh, so Mike wrote back and says, yeah, I noticed him from, uh, the car as he was wing tip was doing turns near, what I thought was the southern approached the airfield, saw him do another wild turn, and knew something was up. Pulled him up on flight radar and noticed his path. And then, uh, so I my digging uh, on liveatc.net revealed uh, that actually they uh, did know about November two three zero six Yankee, and I, um, I compiled this. So I'll just play this. You can. You can. Uh, Pipeline patrol 06
5: Yankee is with you on 1.6.7. I line 2306 Yankee, Minneapolis, morning. Altimeter 3021, Bravo entry approved. What's uh, the route this morning?
11: Uh, Bravo entry approved. I would like to go from my present position, which is over the Air Lake Airport, straight north on a pipeline that goes between uh, the approach for 30 left and right to the tank. And I would say uh, just go to the river and then depart to the south. 06 Yankee. I
3: line 06 Yankee, Roger. Okay. You get the gist. Uh, there's a little bit more to it, but uh, yeah, it was all innocent. Pipeline patrol. One of many ways uh, pilots um, uh, utilize to build up some flying time um, is uh, this thing they call pipeline control, and I guess or pipeline patrol, and I guess they, they I, I've never really talked to a pipeline patrol pilot, leaks. but I'm assuming they must just visually inspect <laughs> pipelines. They have a lot of Explosions in their life. Yes, they are uh, a pipeline patrol pilot. Yeah, triple. <laughs> yeah. Um But uh, a lot of alliteration there. Uh, but I guess they just look for, I don't know, what are they looking for on a pipeline?
0: Leaking, just I think.
3: Obvious brakes yeah. or yeah. something? I don't know.
4: We, we used to uh, get no NOTAMs almost uh, every time we flew in the military because our, our low flying areas, we're down to 250 feet and uh, about the same height as these guys tootle around at, uh, inspecting pipelines and power lines. Uh, the other thing they often inspect by air. So uh, we were, I'm very familiar with these boys.
0: Just a quick comment before you wrap up from My Hall Boxes
3: i Boxes in our live audience says, thought he was skywriting doctor style. Yeah, <laughs> if you look at that, <laughs> yes, yeah, it's not, a very, not very coherent not, not as, legible, as far as the no. uh, skywriting is concerned. And by the way, I-Hall Boxes, that typing that you heard wasn't any of us. That was the air traffic controller typing in the right. background. It was picking up his his keyboard. Uh, wasn't us. Mm-hmm. So there you go.
0: Okay, guys, right. five minutes to go to the hour.
3: Okay, uh, five minutes to go. Uh, yeah, let's do that. Let's wrap it up. I know this is going to be a little bit of a shorter show, but uh, we, we definitely wanted to get one out there. You know, we don't want to miss any weeks uh, with a with an episode of APG. And thanks for bearing with us on this one and breaking it up a little bit. But hopefully soon we'll have everybody back to good health and have the whole crew with us. And uh, ah, that'd be nice.
4: Yeah, yeah. it would.
3: Um, Let's see. So uh, we'll just mention quickly that we have a website, airlinepilotguy.com, where you can find information about the crew, the community, have got a community calendar there, um, information about the plane tails, more information about the plane tails. Um, and the, the entire catalog is there and, and ways actually to subscribe to just the plane tail feed, if you'd like. Um, and we have uh, inf- information about merchandise, information about the coffee fund, Uh, The APG Library, our APG librarian, Tiffany, is there to help out with anything that uh, you might want to add or check out from the library. And uh, what else? Anything else,
2: Liz? that's I think that's it. Okay, we're also
3: on social media, or what I like to call the social meds, and uh, Captain Nick is going to tell us all about that.
4: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you're a fan of Facebook, then uh, look us up. We're Airline Pilot Guy. That's all one word. And it's very, uh, very keen uh, on Twitter. You'll find us there. We're very keen uh, at APG Crew. Uh, And that is quite similar to our Instagram handle. You won't find much except the artwork every week. uh, As soon as it's produced, I fire the artwork up there. If you're interested in hunting out the show title, which I, sorry, the show number, which I hide there. And that's just APG Crew on Instagram.
2: Very good. We, we're
4: not TikTokers yet, are we? No, um, and I never we have should be TikTokers. any intention of joining TikTok. No, no. Awesome. Okay, and then there's, of course, all the hip uh, ones that the youngsters are in. Yeah, anyway. we're not hip. We're hip? not hip, uh, well, that's for hip, sure. Right? We, we need new hips, yeah. but.
7: Uh, yeah. Is Hillel there, Jeff?
3: Uh, Hillel, there? Hillel? I don't know. Let me see. Oh, yeah.
7: Hillel? Oh,
4: God.
3: Ready? I think I hear him. Let's see if he'll tell us about.
4: Is he trying to flood your phone Tell us? About again?
3: Slack? Tell us about Slack. Please? Okay. Okay. But I'm well come on over that's okay. I mean I've got yeah. most of this water towel on this time. Yeah please. all right he's gonna come over here and tell us all about Slack.
9: APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination and sharing platform that works on your mobile laptop or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas, we suggest episode and plain tales topics, we plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com, that's S-L-A-C-K Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com, or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation, that's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot. Hello. Jeff. What? Can we please get one of those heated bidet toilet seats like they have in Japan?
3: Yep. I've I've asked for one for Christmas. (laughs) All right. Apparently, uh, he's a big fan of that. Speaking of fans, uh, boxes uh, was asking about, uh, as far as social media, OnlyFans. I think, uh, Captain Nick, don't you have a a channel there uh, on OnlyFans?
4: Only fans. Uh, we'll
3: <laughs> we'll talk know, talk I that knew that he later. wouldn't know what that was. No, we'll call, we'll <laughs> Just that say, way. yes, I'm Captain Nick. <laughs> That's only fans. Dodgy, that
4: does.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, is it's that per- like
4: a fan dance. Or? Uh, uh,
1: yeah, we'll we'll talk later. Quite,
4: like I'm that. quite fond of those. Yeah, we'll we'll sure. tell you. We'll I don't do them myself. <laughs> but
3: I like watching wrap them it up, dance. boys. Okay. Liz is telling us to wrap it up before we get in any more trouble. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, let's bring in Liz, please uh, join us. There you go. Hey, Hi guys. Liz. Um, thank you very much for all the hard work that you do behind the scenes.
4: Brilliant and while pleasure, we're doing the pleasure. Show and everything
3: it's, uh, you're, you're awesome. Couldn't do it without you. And uh, also, wanted to thank everybody in our live audience that shows up every week, sometimes yeah, twice a week. Yeah, it's well done, everyone. Yeah, it's, uh, you, you mean a lot to us, and we love you. And thank you for being there for us. And you, too, out there listening to the show, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless.
0: Bye, everybody. See you next time.
5: Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats
10: Airline pilot guy I fly a
4: Oh, Airline pilot guy
9: He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends cause
5: I'm always flying. I just don't have the time. But I can land this old plane. I can land it just fine.
2: Airline, not a guy. I'd fly.